You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 515. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from his mobile studio on the Great Plains. Today's show is recorded on the 31st of March, 2022. In today's episode, new info on the China Eastern Airlines crash which took 132 lives, the reason for a stealth bomber's landing gear collapse in Missouri, more news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, don't upset the Jet 1. So get all settled in, tray tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, Flight 515 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining us today from across the pond... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi, everybody. Yeah, getting over that. That's great. Um, Looking forward to tomorrow. It's going to be the birthday of the Royal Air Force. And the Royal Australian Air Force come to that. Wow. And you served in both of those. Absolutely. All right. And from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. And also joining us, sitting right next to me here in his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, it's Nick Macho Camacho Man. Hey guys, thanks to, uh, thanks to Jeff for having me on again. And thanks for uh, you, to you, for allowing me into your your house and, and with your family and everything else. I mean, big mistake if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're having a great time and without further ado, let's uh, move on to... The news. Stand by for news. All right, we have an update for or the article or the uh, news item that we talked about at the beginning of our last show. And that, of course, is the China Eastern Boeing 737-800 crash near Guangzhou in China. 
And let's see, we're going to fast forward here to a couple of the highlighted updates. They did find the one of the black boxes. They weren't sure which one. Then they finally said, yes, it looks like it's the cockpit voice recorder, although it looks like they have to do some some things to it to uh, uh, because it's damaged. The uh, CVR's memory chip is damaged, needs to be sent to the chip manufacturer for repair according to a uh, recommendation by the manufacturer. I'm not sure at this time um, how long it's going to take for that to happen. And uh, let's see, they also said that uh, the part of the aircraft found in Yatang was identified as a trailing edge of a winglet of the crashed aircraft. Another piece of debris was found about 2.3 kilometers north of the debris at Yatang in oh, Lejou Village. I don't know. How would you say? L-I-X-I-U. Hmm. Uh, Lima India X-ray. Uh, India uniform. Yeah, that's the <laughs> best way, safest way to do it. <laughs> anyway, it's an arc-shaped object that is uh, being examined and identified. Uh, let's see. Excuse me? Oh, that's clever, Liz. Trust me, that was not very clever. Um, on March 27th, 2022, the CAAC reported the second black box. The flight uh, data or data recorder has been found and recovered. It was found about one and a half meters below the surface at the eastern side of the main crash site on the steep hillside between the two crash sites. And uh, we also have another... A uh, source of news that uh, talks mostly, this is from the New York Times, talks mostly, the previous one, by the way, was from the Aviation Herald, an update. Uh, but this one from the New York Times, uh, China Eastern pilots were experienced, adding to the mystery of the crash. Uh, two industry veterans were at the controls of Flight 5735, which took a sudden dive in good weather. Uh, let's see, so let me scroll down to the uh, part where they talk about the crew members here. Um Mr. Zhang uh, was born in 1963. He was the one that had like 30-something thousand, Mm 31,000-some-odd hours. Uh, He was born in 63, was one of China's most experienced pilots, having taken up flying as a teenager in Yunnan province in the early 80s, according to a 2018 profile by CAAC News, the Civil Aviation Administration of China's newspaper. He was selected from among thousands who applied to aviation school. There he trained on a copy of a Soviet model biplane. Later, after joining China Yunnan Airlines, he flew Antonov AN-24s, a turboprop model once common in Chinese commercial aviation. After China Yunnan purchased its first Boeing models, Mr. Zhang traveled to Seattle in 1988 to train on the Boeing 737-300, the newspaper said. He later learned to fly the Boeing 767, a wide-body aircraft. Over his career as a commercial pilot with China Yunnan, uh, which later merged with uh, China Eastern, Mr. Zhang flew four different models of aircraft and accumulated 31,769 hours of flight experience at China Eastern Airlines Yunnan Company, he was one of the few veteran pilots, uh, a mentor to young captains, and a witness to the rapid growth of Yunnan's aviation industry since the era of reform and opening up began 40 years ago, the newspaper said, referring to the market reforms begun in China after the Mao era. Okay, Uh, the airline commonly paired young pilots with older pilots, and Mr. Zhang had 
mentored more than 100. Uh, Mr. Yang was one of them. Mr. Yang, the son of China Eastern pilot, had steadily progressed up the ranks at the airline, Phoenix Magazine said. He had begun flying 737s in 2018, and he was 32 years old. He had a daughter who had just celebrated her first birthday. And let's see, in addition to Mr. Zhang and Mr. Yang, a second co-pilot with 556 hours of experience was also on the flight. The three had valid health certificates and met all other requirements to fly, the airline said. Their family conditions were stable. <laughs> so I guess they were just making sure, I guess, that uh, one of the things that people are, you know, they have to investigate in a situation like this with good weather and seemingly, you know, dropping, falling out of the sky from 29,000 feet almost in a vertical dive until they impacted, uh, you know, they have to rule out whether it is a suicide kind of a situation. Right. So they're doing their best to make sure that they're stressing that there was no, didn't seem to be any issues with emotional, you know, whatever, yeah. mental health issues. All right. That's our update. So uh, they have found both of the not black boxes. Uh, we call them black boxes, but right. uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll get yeah, usually bright orange, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm. Uh, there's a picture of them. It's a bright orange tube. <laughs> yeah. Not a not a box at all. <laughs> yeah. Not even. It's not very boxy. Yeah. Nope. All right. Very good. Boy, not much else to say here until we actually maybe get some some evidence from those uh, flight da data recorder and cockpit voice recorder. Um, boxes. Okay, let's uh, move on to this one. This is interesting. Uh, a B-2 Spirit stealth bomber uh, crashed on uh, or skidded off the runway um, as it was touching down at Whiteman Air Force Base, Missouri in September, an Air Force investigation found. Uh, they are saying that it was all because of weak springs and it's left landing gear. But I'm not so sure that that's really the cause of this accident. Uh, no, I wasn't there, but you'll see what I mean when we read more about this. The two key springs in the bomber's collapsed left main landing gear didn't provide enough pressure to keep it in its locked position, according to an accident investigation report that Air Force Global Strike Command released to the public on Thursday. The failure of these springs was the primary cause of the mishap. Hmm. According to a January 12th report from the investigation board headed by Colonel Robert Koch, those springs hadn't been replaced in at least a decade and perhaps never, the report said. In 2018, the Air Force changed the B-2's maintenance procedures to require these springs to be replaced every nine years as part of a regularly scheduled depot maintenance. But this bomber last went into the depot in 2014 before that procedure had been changed. No evidence could be found showing these springs had ever been replaced, investigators said. An Air Force research laboratory analysis of the two springs in the left landing gear found they were outside the tolerance level and producing about 11% less tension than they were designed to provide. I don't know. That doesn't seem like a lot to me, 11% less. Um, they go on to say, a rapid loss of hydraulic fluid caused by a small metal fatigue crack and a hydro hydraulic coupling unit also kept the bomber from deploying its landing gear normally and was determined to have substantially contributed to the mishap. I think that that's more important than the springs myself. Uh, the B-2's left landing gear collapsed within seconds of touching down. Its left wing hit and dragged along the runway as the bomber veered 
uh, into the grassy area east of the runway. Both pilots were uninjured and were able to shut down and exit the bomber. No fire broke out. But the B-2 dubbed the Spirit of Georgia. Oh, there's your problem. Uh, and assigned to the 393rd <laughs> Bomb Squadron of the 509th Bomb Wing at Whiteman, suffered significant damage to components, including its left main landing gear, its door, the skin under its left wing, left lower wingtip light, and left lower rudder. Repair costs were estimated to be at least $10.1 million in the report, but the final cost could end up being much higher. The investigation said engineers need to take a closer look for internal structural damage to its left wing. Um, the publicly released report does not get specific about the extent of the damage to the bomber's highly delicate, low observable stealth coating. Uh, let's see. The Air Force has 20 B-2s in its fleet, which cost about $1.1 billion apiece. The Spirit of Georgia was delivered to Whiteman in December of 1995. Uh, so here's what happened that day. This B-2 was on its third training sortie of the day when it attempted to land shortly after midnight on September 14. And there were no signs of any hydraulic problems during the first two flights. While on approach, the crew tried to extend its landing gear normally, but almost immediately a caution light warning of a hydraulic problem lit up and the pilots declared an in-flight emergency. The bomber's right landing gear had experienced a failure of its high-pressure cryofit coupling, which caused all 21 gallons of hydraulic fluid, that's a lot, in one system to drain out within a minute. The bomber automatically switched to a second hydraulic system, and it quickly lost nearly all of its fluid as well. The loss of that fluid also meant a, a hydraulic lock link actuator was not working and couldn't help the springs keep the landing gear locked in place. Uh, so the pilot started an emergency landing gear extension to make sure all landing gear were down and locked, which uses stored pressure to knock the landing gear into place, and then the gravity and airflow to lock it into place with the mechanical lock link system. Bomber touched down and briefly bounced, though the investigation found it wasn't a hard landing, and then touched down a second time. Then, without enough spring pressure to keep the left landing gear locked in place, it began to collapse partially back into its wheel well. The left landing gear door, which remained open during the emergency landing, touched the runway and dragged for about 750 feet before it ripped off, ripping open the skin on the underside of the wing and exposing its internal structure. The, the crew uh, struggled to keep the bomber going down the center of the runway, but it dipped to the left, leaving scrape marks from its left lower rudder and wingtip along the runway's edge. A few seconds later, that rudder also torn off, was torn off and slid across the runway. The bomber's instructor pilot tried to steer it hard to the right and brake to keep it on course, but the main, the right and left landing gear wheels locked up. And the bomber began to veer, probably because the hydraulic pressure wasn't there for the anti-skid, I'm guessing. Um, and uh, the bomber began to veer hard to the left, uh, left the runway's eastern edge and came to a stop about 140 feet into the grassy infield. The report said that both pilots were current and qualified in the B-2 and that human factors were not a cause of the mishap. Um, and it remains unclear if any, what, if any, maintenance procedures may be changed as a result of this mishap in the investigation that followed. Now, I was telling um, Nick Camacho before we started recording the show today that I don't know. You know, I didn't actually read the Air Force report. This is reporting from who? Uh, DefenseNews.com. And so the, maybe this is their analysis of the report. But I would say to me, the main cause of the accident was the hydraulic 
fitting that leaked and broke and dumped all the hydraulic fluid out of one system and then the automatic switchover of the other dumping all the hydraulic fluid there. It seems to me that those springs are kind of a, a backup mechanism to keep the the gear locked in place and not the primary cause of the accident. I don't know. What do you think, uh, Captain Nick? Well, I, I'm not familiar with how their undercarriage is configured. Most undercarriage systems have an over-center lock so that uh, once the uh, mechanism is down and in position, there is a physical uh, over-center of um, part of the undercarriage mechanism that um, mechanically prevents it from moving again unless there's hydraulic pressure to remove that over or shift that over-center um, jack and um, allow the gear to raise. So it, unless they've designed it differently on the B2, and I do not know how they've done that, um, then once it's down and physically locked, there's very little that should shift it. So an absence of pressure shouldn't be a problem because, after all, you can lower most gear on a gravity system and it should lock into place. You shouldn't need springs to hold the downlock in, but perhaps those springs held it in the over-center position. I, I, I don't know. And you're right. I think a 10% loss of spring efficiency doesn't seem a huge amount to me. Um, and they didn't land heavily. And normally you would expect if the guy had jarred the gear on landing, uh, that might um, give enough force to um, shift the gear mechanism and allow it to collapse. But it didn't sound like it was a hard landing. It sounded like it was quite a nice, gentle landing. And and that's quite likely if you've reduced your rate of descent almost to zero, you can touch the gear and basically you're just skipping going a few inches in the air and then back down again. They've called it a bounce, but I think it, a skip is probably a better description. They seem to go um, out and you know, went out of their way to kind of say that it wasn't a hard landing. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I uh, And unless there was a lot of side force, again, which – I don't believe uh, that was the case. Then I, I, I'm at a bit of a loss. But, you know, I don't see any reason why the Air Force should make an error in their assessment. Yeah. Again, we didn't read the actual Air Force report. This was perhaps a, um editorial analysis or whatever of this uh, that doesn't match up exactly with what the investigators said, I'm not sure. Um, Ian Allen uh, says, isn't the B-2's main gear pretty much the same unit as the 757 or 767? I have no idea, honestly. But I think um, <laughs> I Haul Boxes um, asks a good question. Where's the rudder on a B-2? Good point. There is no... Uh, no I, I think they use uh, differential yeah, they drag do. devices. Split, yeah. um, okay. And so it's like a virtual rudder? Your it. But, yeah, but it, the, yes. in the report that I was reading, uh, it said something about the rudder breaking off and skidding down the runway or something. I'm thinking, oh, I thought it, I thought it said the <laughs> gear door. Oh, maybe it was a gear door. I thought there was something about the rudder. Um, perhaps not. Um, I haul boxes has the real reason. <laughs> Bombay gin. Uh, Chris slipped some of that Bombay <laughs> gin. Uh, you, you know, the thing that I thought was interesting here is they talked about. Uh, a maintenance procedure changing and having a uh, a calendar duration on it, but they don't talk about any initial 
initial periods or, or initial inspections of it. You know, a lot of times, at least with the FAA, when you have a um, when you have an AD get um, published, you know, they'll say you need to inspect something within the next hundred hours of flight, and then every five years after that, or every five hundred hours after that, or whatever. And uh, it, you know, it seems awfully interesting that. Um, this, it seems yeah, like the, that, that the timeline duration doesn't line up very well here. Yeah, you have to work from a known right. uh, point, don't you? Because right. the spring might be eight years old. Dead. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then they say, right, inspect it every 10 years. Well, that means you've got another two years to go or whatever exactly. with a nearly useless spring. But if you check the springs and go, yep, this one's fine, 10 years from now, we can check it again. Yep. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I found. The um, place in the article, I, I'm not making things up. A few seconds later, that rudder also was torn off and slid across the runway, the left lower rudder. Yeah, so that's interesting. I, you know, they do, they use split devices mm -hmm. out towards the wingtips. I always assumed they just called them spoilers or ailerons or something but i wonder yeah, something if, doesn't seem right to me. i wonder if they <laughs> do call them because they say lower rudder which would lead you believe there's maybe a lower and an upper well, rudder. maybe there's something underneath that we can't see because if it if they are saying there's a left lower and a left upper rudder to me that would almost equate to a set of spoilers opening up mm -hmm. i don't know could be could be definitely okay, not so, a rudder on yeah, the top it's not not a standard rudder that's for yeah. sure that's true. I, I've seen aircraft with kind of split ailerons uh -huh. where they, they s separate apart to provide a, yeah. a level of drag. I, th I think that's um, how these are. That's similar to this okay. configuration. Yeah, that makes sense. Or, or perhaps uh, they use, uh, call the undercarriage doors. Perhaps they provide some uh, yawing stability. Um, I don't know. Although they did specifically down. refer to the landing gear doors um oh, yeah. separately there in this go. article at least so who knows so, uh i'm confused i ought to learn more about this airplane yeah and i just i'm still kind of perplexed why they put so much emphasis on springs that are within 11 percent of yes. the tension that they're supposed to like have and to me it just looks like blaring the hydraulic nut or the fitting that made the hydraulic fluid come out is the problem here. Yeah. But you know, after listening to you read that article, uh -huh. um, I, I think maybe what they're saying is the hydraulic failure was the primary failure, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't have caused this issue if that spring wouldn't have failed. The system is set up to where the okay. hydraulic failure should be survivable. Yeah. And that spring is a backup system that gets the leaning gear where it needs to be. And I guess maybe it's the semantics about <laughs> yeah, you know what what know. is primarily the cause of the accident and what is a contributory yeah. uh, aspect of it, I guess. I just wanted to let you know, I know it must be painful to see the spirit of Georgia off the side of the runway like it that. It is but very painful. Welcome to the club. The only uh, the only destroyed B2 was the spirit of Kansas. Oh, boy. The one that crashed in Guam. Yeah. <laughs> What's next? Spirit of Hampshire. Wow. And, you know, considering how much spirit these things cost, you think they'd take more care of them, wouldn't you? <laughs> the spirit of Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be next. Um, <laughs> no, I don't want one, thanks. We well, don't you want know, one I, over here. Yeah, I don't think it made it in the, the news this time, Nick, because I just read something last night. But, you know, there's already discussion of our Air Force starting to retire F-22s. 
And uh, <laughs> wow, Good that's Lord. perplexing to me considering the cost and the age of them. But well, really, I, I know, apparently, yeah, I know apparently they, we just some of them have got problems with the aircraft skin, haven't they? They've uh, yeah, and these are the uh, older the surface ones. Is peeling away. Yeah, and it has to do with you know they've been in Florida, which is a horrible place to live, and I think they're I think they have them limited to training capabilities only, and they're wanting to streamline the streamline the fleet so that they don't have like. Uh, role specific airplanes. Are you being sarcastic? Oh, okay. No, I'm not. I'll being s- Florida a terrible place to live? <laughs> a terrible place for an airplane to live. Oh, because okay. of because cor- of corrosion. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that for people, but okay. It is. I'm thinking. Wow, it is a little offensive. It's a very challenging place to maintain airplanes. <laughs> okay. Because yeah, of the I understand environment. I get, now. I get where you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> the next plane accident's going to be the spirit of. Well, Miami Rick did leave, so perhaps it is terrible. Yeah, I don't know. I know worse places. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to the next item in the news notebook, uh, decarbonized future for flight. Delta and Airbus collaborate to pull forward the future of hydrogen fuel. And this is from Delta news.delta.com. Delta and Airbus will collaborate on industry-leading research to accelerate the development of a hydro- hydrogen-powered aircraft and the ecosystem it requires. Hydrogen power has a great potential to speed air travel toward net-zero carbon emissions, a future that could be accelerated thanks to a new agreement between Delta and Airbus. As part of its flight to net-zero uh, plan to scale and, I was going to say trademark, but what's the SM stand for? This uh, up here in the... I don't know what that something mark. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know what that is. Okay, I, I'm not sure I've seen that before. A net zero uppercase SM planned to scale and advance sustainable technologies. Delta has signed a memorandum of understanding to become the first U.S.-based airline to collaborate with Airbus on the research and development of hydrogen-powered aircraft and the ecosystem required to make the transition. To pull the future of sustainable aviation forward, we need to accelerate the development and commercialization of potentially disruptive technologies, said Pam Fletcher, Delta's chief sustainability officer. Hydraulic fuel is an exciting concept that has the potential to redefine the status quo. These tangible steps lay the groundwork for the next generation of aviation. Under the agreement, Delta will provide the expertise of its people to identify fleet and network expectations and the operational and infrastructure requirements needed to develop commercial aircraft powered by hydrogen fuel. The areas of focus will be Aircraft concept, exploring the technical and economic viability of hydrogen-fueled aircraft, identifying the pathway for introduction into Delta's fleet and operations, as well as the aircraft's potential performance in Delta's fleet. That includes identifying challenges such as flight range limits, refueling time, and airport compatibility. Uh, The aviation ecosystem, assessing the infrastructure that will be needed to develop green hydrogen, bring it to scale and implement at airports nationwide, as well as analyzing regulation and costs to identify a clear path for progress ahead. Coalition building, advocating for a decarbonized future in aviation, including pathways to hydrogen production with key industry stakeholders. To uh, decarbonize aviation, we need to develop the right technology bricks and a dynamic hydrogen ecosystem, said Julie Kitcher, Airbus EVP Communications and Corporate Affairs. Through close collaboration with key partners such as Delta, we will integrate our customers' expertise and specific needs to ensure our zero-emission aircraft will be a game-changer for sustainable airspace. 
So I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, this is uh, this is going green right here. Let me see if I have, I should have um, played that at the very beginning here, but I'm going to play it now. Here we go. We're going green. Oops. <laughs> We're going green. We're going green. Oh, that's the short version. Okay. So um, I was thinking the overlays? there are not, not quite yet. Liz, I'll let you know okay. when I, I need those overlays. Um, I, I started looking into this a little bit more thinking like, yeah, some pretty major um, roadblocks in my mind to using liquid hydrogen uh, for uh, powering um, a, a turbine uh, jet turbine turbine engine. Sorry. And uh, uh, I think one of the I thought at first that the um, energy energy density of hydrogen wasn't as high as uh, gasoline, and I meant to do this. Did I put that? I don't think I put this in the uh, overlay. This chart, but there's a uh, chart that shows the density of gaseous no hydrogen. Okay, um, I'll just kind of summarize it. Uh, it, it talks about uh, comparison between gaseous hydrogen, liquid hydrogen, and jet fuel, jet A. Uh, density, um, jet fuel is like a factor of more than 10 higher than liquid hydrogen. Energy density, not very impressive when you compare like liquid hydrogen's 10,027 and jet fuel's 36,656. So I'm thinking, eh, it looks like jet fuel, a lot more energy dense. However... Uh, they have a column here called specific energy. I guess that's, uh, what is that, megajoules per kilogram? I'm not sure what the M stands for, but it's a, it's a capital M, so I'm thinking it's probably a, a megajoule. Yeah, uh, and in this case... I thought it was Mr. Joule. Or Mr. Joule. It could you be Mr. Joule. told me Mr. Joule. Um, or Michael Jackson, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Monsieur Joule. Um, Monsieur Joule. Okay, Monsieur, Monsieur Joule. Um, the, the liquid, uh, well, both the gaseous... Um, hydrogen and the liquid hydrogen, they're up there in the 140-ish area, whereas jet fuel is down at 46. So it looks like, as far as specific energy is concerned, that the uh, hydrogen has um, the fossil jet fuel beat by a, about a factor of three. And so anyway, uh, but there are some drawbacks to using uh, liquid hydrogen, turning it into gaseous hydrogen to power the turbine. Uh, and that is the way the fuel is stored and carried on an aircraft. And the problem with uh, liquid hydrogen is that it has to be stored in a cryogenic state. So it looks like minus 250 something degrees Celsius or something, very low temperature. I, I forget now exactly yep. what it is. Uh, but um, extremely low temperature and uh, under very high pressure. And even when you have what you need to operate a, a jet engine um, with you, it, it takes up a lot of volume compared to jet fuel. And, and jet fuel, you know, because it's a liquid, it can be, you know, stored in wings and put close to the center of gravity of an aircraft. Whereas you have some issues with um, using uh, the cryogenic uh, storage of, of liquid hydrogen. And now, um, Liz, if you can put to that first uh, 
slide up. Um, that is the uh, back, I'm not sure, I think it may be in the 70s. I'm not sure exactly how long ago. This is a Tupelo of uh, 154. They did some research uh, using hydrogen to power um, gas turbines, turbines, excuse me. And uh, you can see in that picture the uh, the big giant tank there just off of the uh, trailing edge or just forward of the trailing edge of the wing and uh, how it, you know it's displacing a lot of the cubic volume inside of an aircraft. So and you know for airlines, you know we want to make sure that we have as many seats on the airplane and you know carry as many passengers as possible so that it's profitable. Uh, the other problem is uh, put uh, well it's not really a, another problem, it's the same problem. This next slide shows uh, that on a regional jet where uh, the shift of the center of gravity is not as an important um, a factor as it is in long-range flights. Uh, they could put the, uh, the the storage vessels in the in the rear of the aircraft. They still take up a considerable amount of space, but uh, you don't have those CG uh, issues. And then the next is what you'd likely to have have to have for long-range aircraft, and you'd have to kind of space out the containers all throughout uh, the uh, the envelope of the uh, aircraft or the fuselage of the aircraft. It looks like in this um, drawing, uh, they have some tanks kind of up in the, you know, above the ceiling of the, uh, that part of the fuselage going from the, near the front all the way yeah, to the back. No hat racks for the uh, passengers anymore. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> no overhead lockers. Yeah, they're not going to go for that. And then I guess the <laughs> final one is another concept where, you know, again, balancing the use or consumption of the liquid hydrogen um, <laughs> in front and back. Is that where they're going to put the passengers? Well, in that little hole in that, the well, I guess in the middle somewhere. <laughs> standing room only. <laughs> so I think that is actually a depiction of the passageway that um, because they, 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 they said they're not sure how the public would feel about the pilots being up in the cockpit and not having any way to get past that huge cryogenic storage of liquid hydrogen to get Swim. back to the, you know, the to the the middle part. Although in these times, I would think that that would be perfect. Just seal that thing off. There's no reason for us to go back. <laughs> from your standpoint, yeah, from those my, aren't our problems. Let the, let the flight attendants yeah, do with Interesting those they didn't passengers. go with uh, one of the sort of uh, lifting body, you know, mm -hmm. um, that uh, is one of the concepts. You know, yeah, you're right. It is. Airbus and Boeing mm -hmm. both have uh, a, a lifting body design, mm -hmm. uh, and that might actually be, you know, Jeff, pretty good for this. Mm -hmm. I agree. Thanks, Liz. We just passed half an hour. Um, all right. Well, um, what do you what do you think, uh, engineer Nick Camacho, regarding the use <laughs> of liquid hydrogen? Is that something that is viable? I, I think, you know, I, I think that the step, it's just like electric airplanes, you know, when we deal with them now, the step between not having an electric airplane, any electric airplanes versus having the capability to fly an electric airplane is a pretty big step. But then even once you get to that point, the step from that, from there to having a viable system that supports air travel by electric airplane or by hydrogen airplane, I think uh, those are all pretty um, pretty big steps, you know, cause you're only talking about the aspects that are associated with the physical airplane. Right. But then you have to think about like all the infrastructure changes at all the airports that these airplanes are going to land at, how we're going to transport that fuel, 
not by airplane. So, you know, that fuel will have to be produced somewhere and then it'll have to be transported to the airport. We'll have to have, we'll have to have safe ways to fuel airplanes in all these places. So I don't think it's not feasible, but there are a lot of issues to solve. It's not just how to make the airplane fly. Yeah, they did state in this first article uh, that they're talking about, uh, what, what do they say, a green, developed green hydrogen. And I guess the way that they're creating hydrogen now is um, it's not clean uh, energy that they're using to make the hydrogen. I, forget, I, I can't remember exactly how, it, how it's made, but it's, 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 uh, it's, it's not uh, environmentally friendly. Oh, yeah. Micah just said something about that. Is only made efficiently and economically by stripping it from natural gas, which means there's no savings in terms of the environment. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought one of these articles, I think the second one uh, regarding this is from, uh, it's called uh, How Hydrogen Powered Aircraft Work from the AeroEngineer.com. Perfect. That's right up your alley, right? The Aero Engineer, uh, A E R O Engineer, um, is the fact that. Okay, so let's say we get we figure out a way to make green hydrogen that's economical and environmentally friendly, uh, hence green. Uh, we figure out a way to, you know, alleviate the storage on airplane concerns. Well, the other thing that uh, is a problem is the fact that the uh, turbines burning this hydrogen gas um, creates, you know, it, it it cuts down completely on carbon dioxide, which, which is a good thing. However, it creates a lot of wa water vapor, which create contrails. And they're saying contrails are, and we've talked about it on our, on our show a, a few times, is a major contributor to the greenhouse effect. And you know, remember, we talked about various ways that engineers are trying to figure out how to fly airplanes and, you know, so that they're not creating contrails. And now this is introducing the contrail problem. So it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't in this world of energy and uh, powering airplanes. Yes, Nick, uh, Captain Nick. Uh, I was mainly going to say that that uh, don't forget that when uh, you shut down your air traffic uh, after 9-11 um, because of the uh, lack of contrails over the United States, there was, in fact, an average temperature rise of uh, over a degree uh, just in those few days. So, uh, yes, uh, they they do contribute towards the greenhouse effect, but they also provide a protection blanket from the direct sun rays that come through. So, you know, it, it's not all negative. Um, and, of course, um, you know, if you've got vast deserts where you can stick vast amounts of uh, solar arrays, you're going to be able to generate enough electricity to have a hydrogen producing plant in there you know if if this world didn't have uh, any fossil fuel at all we would have found a way to create something that would by now have, we could burn and put in an engine i'm sure what we're saying is it's going to be a lot harder than than pumping it out of the ground yes it is <laughs> but it doesn't mean to say we can't do it that's true we could burn um, burn trees <laughs> we, could, we could we could breed uh, fart uh, producing cows and tap that uh, you know methane gas. Make methane powered engines. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm sure we could. Uh, there are lots of things we could do. It's whether we have, uh, and we've got the technology. We've, we've got the skills to do it. Uh, you know, I think you have to be have a certain element of positivity around this because otherwise we're just going to put our hands in the air and go, oh, it's it's never going to happen because it's going to be too hard. Somebody is actually going to work out the best way to do it, and eventually we will have to because the stuff that bubbles out the ground is going to eventually run out. A bubbling gold. <laughs> exactly. Black, what is it called? Uh, Texas, Texas tea. tea. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing you know, old Jed Millionaire. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. She's giving us a nice rendition of the Beverly Hillbillies theme song. Yeah, me too. I, I did love that show. All right. Let's continue on then, shall we? Well, speaking of the Beverly Hillbillies... All right. Yeehaw! An American figures stopped with a loaded gun in his hand luggage at. Oh, at first I uh -oh. thought it in his hand. An American stopped with loaded gun in his hand luggage at Sydney Airport trying to board U.S. bound flight. A U.S. citizen faces the threat of spending 10 years in prison after being arrested by Australian police when he tried to take a loaded gun with him in his hand luggage on an international flight to the United States. Australian federal police have ruled out terrorism, but prosecutors suspect the 47-year-old man brought the gun and ammunition with him to Australia and somehow got it there and nobody noticed. And routine security searches had failed to detect the firearm on the outbound flight. The firearm was spotted in his hand luggage as it passed through an x-ray machine at Sydney International Airport on Sunday, and federal police officers were called to the scene. A loaded Ruger pistol with one bullet in the chamber was found in the oh, luggage. Really? Wow. Could do a lot of damage wow, to that. He, he was ready to shoot somebody, wasn't he? Yeah, and the man was arrested on the spot. He's been charged with three separate offenses, including a special customs offense, which carries a maximum 10-year jail term. The man has also been charged with carrying a weapon through an, a security checkpoint, which can be punished with up to seven years imprisonment. Firearm possession is tightly regulated in Australia, and the man allegedly did not have a permit to carry the weapon. He faces a further five years in prison for unauthorized possession of a firearm. Uh, the man claimed he had forgotten the weapon was in his luggage, but this situation should have had de deadly con wait. But this situation could have had deadly consequences consequences for other travelers, even if it had discharged accidentally during the flight. Commented uh, AFP Sydney Airport Police Commander. What is that? Uh, Australian, Australian Federal, Federal Police. Police. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> Australian Federal Police Sydney Airport Police Commander. Detective Acting Super Superintendent Scott Sykes. That just rolls off the tongue. There. I'll bet this guy has a uniform that's just covered with badges and ribbons. Wow, yeah, huge business card. And I bet he wears a gun. <laughs> he probably does. Uh, security screening staff at the airport were vigilant, and along with, the, uh, with AFP officers, acted quickly to ensure the safety of the traveling public. Um, anyway, it goes on to talk about all the things that they have found over a certain amount of time, the, the Transport Security Administration in the U.S., and the fact that, uh, you know, we're just a bunch of cowboys, basically, and uh, don't take our gun away. We're You know, let us take, uh, we can have the gun. Well, you know, if you wore them in a holster on the, on your leg, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like You'd a proper okay cowboy, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, we'd be fine with that. Mm-hmm. But when you try and hide it in your baggage, yeah. oh, dear, that's not nearly so good. Yeah. Well, I agree. Okay. Anything else? That's going to be... Uh, I'm just a, glad a, they pointed out that there is only one bullet in the chamber because it seems far more dangerous to have multiple bullets in the chamber. Yeah, or like have a magazine with 15 <laughs> rounds or whatever. It's only one bullet you, How many you can squeeze oh, in the chamber? Oh, good point. I see the point he's making now. You can only put one bullet in the chamber. <laughs> True. At a time. Unless it's a you double could chamber. stick one down yeah. the front of the barrel and hit it with a hammer, I'm sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't even pick up on that. Thank you, uh... Camacho man. All right. Um, (laughs) This is a good one. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny, actually. Uh, British Airways sued by its own pilots over injuries they say were sustained by looking at a security camera. And this is from paddleyourowncanoe.com. That's one of Liz's favorites. A group of British Airways... Is this a satire... um, blog Liz because no. I don't know it seems no. like every time you choose an article from no, this blog <laughs> okay uh, all right uh, a group of British Airways pilots are suing the airline because they claim they have sustained neck and spinal injuries by being forced to constantly twist around in the cockpit to look at a security camera monitor the surveillance system was introduced to British Airways aircraft after 9/11 and it allows pilots to make sure only cabin crew are attempting to gain access to the flight deck The door can only be unlocked from inside the flight deck. Pilots checked the so-called cockpit door surveillance system before unlocking the door, but on some aircraft, the monitor has been fitted behind their crew seats. The crew seat doesn't swivel, so so pilots are forced to twist in their seats to look at the monitor. To make matters worse, the CDSS is made up of three cameras, and the pilots must switch between each camera— before eventually permitting entry to the flight deck. To switch between the cameras, the pilot must repetitively twist forwards and backwards between the monitor and the switch in front of them. A group of 16 pilots have filed a lawsuit against British Airways alleging that this constant twisting and turning has resulted in a variety of neck and spinal injuries. They're suing BA for compensation in varying amounts of between 10,000 pounds and 100,000 pounds. The total compensation sought is worth around 250,000 pounds sterling. I guess, is that the right way to say that, sterling? Mm-hmm. Uh, the lead yeah. claimant nice. One of the ways. is uh, Captain Jonathan Parry, an RAF veteran. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Who claims <laughs> yeah, yeah. to have suffered a slipped disc and spinal damage from twisting his neck as he many as 5,000 times to view the cockpit uh, door surveillance system, the CDSS. Wow, he even counted uh, how many times he had to do that. British Airways denies any liability and also questions the value of the compensation being sought by the pilots. Captains Perry's lawyers, uh, lawyer fears a pilot could suffer an injury in the middle of a flight, which could oh. jeopardize the safety of passengers and crew. Some of the pilots involved in the claim say they have been forced to change to other aircraft types where the security camera monitor isn't fitted on the back wall of the cockpit. No trial date has yet been fixed for the lawsuit. This article was originally published in The Onion. No, that's not true. I just read that. Uh, I mean, I just made that up. Uh, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm just being insensitive here. But that's Wait, where, Where's your cockpit door monitor? I, uh, we have a um, little, like a peephole thing. 
that you move a little cover out of the way, like in a, in your hotel room, to to look. Yeah. To, no camera. We don't have a camera. A, no. We have to actually we have get to actually get up from our seat. <laughs> Talk about repetitive <laughs> stress <clears throat> injuries. Getting up and out of my my yeah my knee. My knees are, are getting, you know, stressed. <laughs> so basically you, you just don't open the door during the flight, yeah? Well, no. I mean, if you need to, if you need to go and uh, you or somebody well, needs to come up. Well, if you need up, to go, you're not going to pee in the corner of the cockpit, aren't you? You're no. going to get up out of your seat anyway. <laughs> well, that's true. But, yeah. But whereas what our system long... was, and that's what our system is. It's, we don't okay, have no, a, no, that's fine. That's we don't fine. have a camera. It's just system. that a lot of aircraft, mm-hmm. when, they, uh, when they made it compulsory to have uh, a cockpit, door surveillance system they put the uh, screen in front of the pilots uh you know it was often uh, part of the center screen or it was an add-on down you know just so they glanced down at it and looked at it and they could see with some clarity what it is uh, on most of the airbus aircraft um that were quickly modified after uh, 9-11 they put it uh, in the top corner of the door, which is almost directly behind the captain's seat. First officer, it's not too bad, uh, but for the captain to look at this, literally has to turn 180 degrees in his seat by twisting his back and his neck. And um, then you've got to try and look. It's about five feet away, and it's about a three and a half inch monitor. So it's tiny. You've got to try and stare at this thing and flick through all the camera angles to check that it's who you think it is and they're not under duress when they're trying to get access to the cockpit. So that's the background of it. They have, despite the fact that these background. have now been in since 9-11, which is how many years ago? 21, uh, 20 and a half. About the turn of the century, yeah, 20-odd years. Um, for 20-odd years, pilots in flying these aircraft have had to twist around and look at the back of the cockpit um, to look at this monitor over and over and over and over and over again. So I have a certain, having flown since 9-11 in aircraft with exactly this system, I have a lot of sympathy because it does, really does. It twists your back and twists your neck and it's a pain in the backside to have to do it. And the, the real problem is because it's such a pain in the backside, a lot of pilots won't check. They don't look properly uh, at the camera. Uh, and as a result, the level of security for the cockpit is uh, drastically reduced because the guys are so uncomfortable turning around and trying to gaze at this uh, tiny little camera um, that, that they don't do it properly. Are, are you um, pushing so, a button to people to let people in? Yeah. Okay, so you're not getting out of the seat. No, you no, no, you're not. You use the camera to check that it's okay, and then you release the door lock, and they come in. Well, Ray makes a good point. He said, "So, didn't the Mad Dog have a compass behind the pilot that he viewed in a mirror? Give these guys a yeah, mirror." <laughs> some guys do have a mirror, uh, but the uh, the distance is so far; it's very hard to see if you're looking directly at it. If you try and look at it through a mirror, it's nearly impossible to see any detail on this screen. So that in itself becomes a security risk. Well, so you can think of all sorts of ways. The best thing yeah. is to move the damn screen. All they're going to do is shift it to somewhere where it's down beside the tiller or somewhere where it's easy to get to look at. It would have been simple, but they have continually. Uh, refuse to move it, even though there have been repeated requests from pilots' unions to 
shift it. And I think any unless you've flown with it on long-haul flights over and over again, I don't think you'd have much sympathy with these guys, but I certainly do. All right. I, that's interesting. I didn't expect that from me. This is from our um, our, our back spinal specialist. Spinal, uh, <laughs> specialist. <laughs> yes, exactly. These British Airways pilots sound like my patients, or maybe they are trying your patients. Trying your patients. Yeah. <laughs> um, so is it too late then? I know this is British Airways, uh, Nick, and you flew for Virgin, but is it too late for you to get into the uh, in, onto this Lawsuit? Maybe you get a little extra. I, I could try. Trouble is that they're suing the wrong airlines. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, do your own little lawsuit. Well, you said you flew the same airplanes, right? Surely you can find some Precedent. virgin chums to join you. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I almost certainly could. I mean, you know that I've got a very bad neck and a very bad lower back, and they're the two yeah. areas that twist when you have to look at this. It has nothing but, to do uh, with the F4 or the uh, F18, I'm sure. No, no, that's what would be their argument. It was fit when I came to the company. Put it that way. There you go. Okay, well, interesting. Um, I, I, I didn't expect that reaction. So there you go. Um, that's it for our news on today's episode. And that means, of course, now we're going to shift to my favorite segment. Getting to know us. Get into home. No, that's not it. <laughs> I don't know what the lyrics are anymore. Getting to like me, hoping that you like me too, or something like that. All right. Getting to know us is the segment where we kind of get together and figure out what everybody has been doing between shows. And I, I, I just really enjoy hearing what everybody's been up to. And Nick, would you like to tell us what you've been doing? Which one? Oh, I'm sorry, Nick. Captain Nick, not this one. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Um, So uh, about the only thing that's terribly exciting that's happened is that uh, I had a visit from one of our listeners who uh, had flown all the way over from Israel, and that's uh, Nia. Now, um, we had a little chat, uh, and it might be an appropriate time to play that if you wouldn't mind, Jeff. All right. Uh, Liz, are you going to get the overlay? All right. Here we go. Hi, Jeff. Uh, Captain Nick here, sitting in uh, the conservatory studio, which you will remember from the famous beer incident. And I'm here with Nia, who uh, I have only known through a telephone conversation and lots of emails that we shared, um, talking about uh, various stories that I have covered in Plain Tales uh, about the escapades of the Israelis. <laughs> they are fantastic, these stories. And Nia happens to be in the United Kingdom right now, and he's taken uh, an hour or two out of his uh, busy schedule to uh, come and pop in through afternoon tea. So we've got scones and jam and cream and, and cups of tea going. And I just want to uh, introduce him and uh, um, ask him to tell us a little bit about himself um, Nia, uh, welcome, and thanks very much indeed for coming along. Thanks, thanks, Nick. Nick heard so much about this observatory, so I decided this is a good opportunity to come by. I was down here in uh, in Porchester on business, so I decided to come back, uh, come past here, have some tea on my way back to London, flying back uh, tomorrow morning out of Luton Airport. Very interesting chatting uh, to uh, Captain uh, Nick over here. 
uh, suggesting one or two more plain tales, but uh, we'll keep it under wraps until something comes up. I I'm hope you'll all enjoy it uh, pretty much in the very near future. Great being here. Excellent. Um, Nia, yes, uh, the stories that particularly those involving Mossad, all the cloak and dagger stuff, I think they're fantastic. Thank, thanks very much indeed. Um, uh, so you're heading back tonight and um, you flew out a few days ago? Yeah, I flew in into Gatwick uh, Sunday night, actually midnight. I uh, had some business up north, came down down here, and then uh, I had the afternoon off before my flight tomorrow, so I decided that was the best place to stop at. Brilliant. A comfortable flight, I hope. What were you in? I was with uh, Wizzair. Probably you will not repeat that. You know, those very thin, foam, foamless chairs, and uh, you have to pay for a, a bottle of water. I don't think I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, presumably you're going home with Wizzair as no, well. No, no, actually I'm flying back with El Al, Israel Airlines. Oh, very yeah, nice. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. And now I, I would like to ask you uh, if they still have Sky Marshals uh, on board, but I'd probably best if uh, we stay away from the well, security aspects of that. If I tell you, I might have to keep you after that, so. yeah. Oh, that's been tried many a time. Nia, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're an incredible source of information about uh, aviation subjects. Um, how did you get in an interest in uh, all things flying? Um, <clears throat> actually, what happened was when I finished my university, I'm basically an engineer by trade, but never was a real engineer. But I was stationed with the Air Force when I finished my studies and mainly involved in helicopters. I know helicopters should not be mentioned <laughs> in this household. I still but don't know how they fly. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and that's where my interest in aviation started. Never, never went on to uh, actually fly uh, myself, but I mean, always in the back. But uh, there was always an interest and there was a, always a will to, to stay there and, and, and talk about it and... and uh, I'm still involved in it very much in, in my business side of things. Brilliant. And how did you find out about uh, the APG? Well, I think I've been around for five, six years at least. I don't know. It just came about and, and I stayed and I stuck with it. And uh, despite the three hours, uh, it's actually I do land up listening to it a lot because I do run three times a week and I run one to one and a half hours every time. So that fills up a lot of my running time. <laughs> well, that, that's brilliant. Now, I know you have invited me to come across to Israel and see that famous MiG-007. Yeah. I want to take you uh, up on that one day. But for anyone who wanted to come and visit your beautiful country, what else what might they want to do? There's, there's a whole bunch of things that anybody can do in Israel. You know, we, we don't drive camels, as some people think we do. Very much a very modern, very modern country. Economy is extremely strong at the moment. Um, in fact, our our currencies, the shekel currency, is one of the strongest around. Um, it's been doing very well uh, against the dollar and the, and the euro, mainly because we have a lot of uh, startup industry that had a huge influx of foreign direct in investment (FDI) which kept the economy very vibrant and, and doing extremely well. So uh, anybody can come and see, of course, the, the old historic historic places, the religion places, the birth the birthplace of the three, three Western religions. Uh, Jews, uh, Christianity, and, and Muslims are there as well. 
and there's a whole bunch of very open society, very open society. Sounds absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure a lot of us would love to go out and, uh, and visit the place, if only for the beautiful weather and the fantastic seas. Yeah, you're more than welcome anytime, and please contact me when you do. Brilliant. All right. Well, thanks very much indeed. Lovely to see you and meet you after all this time. Yeah. Uh, and um, any last minute? No. Thanks. I really appreciate your hosting me here. Thank you. You're very welcome. Back to you in the studio, Jeff. Thank you, Nick. Uh, great interview. And Nira, hey, when I retire and I have that RV, I'm going to drive it over there to uh, Israel and you can kind of show me around <laughs> all those uh, hot spots. That, that'll yeah. be a good old drive, that will. <laughs> I was telling uh, Nick Camacho that my geography is not the best. So <laughs> there might be a problem with that. So that's been my highlight of the week. But um, uh, for, a, you know, a, a little bit of a, of a fun thing, I, I thought I'd uh, have, have a go at one of Rick's favorite hobbies, uh, Miami Rick's, uh, and um, try a bit of uh, extreme ironing. Oh, you're a little so, jealous, huh? I, I, well, yeah, I mean, he gets he gets a lot of airtime yeah. uh, in in his little ironing demo. So, um, <laughs> I I thought I would try some of this, and of course, extreme ironing is is a very uh, popular sport it nowadays. Is. So it is. So we're serious. Yeah, no I, joke. Absolutely, no joke at all. <laughs> so, uh, um, it, it, this was my effort. I mean, I, I don't think I get I got past the heats. But I, I did try. Okay, well, let's see uh, see what he's talking about here. <laughs> wow. That seems like extreme winter weather. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. This is a, a cold temperature ironing. The, um, the water you spray on, sadly, it turned to ice before it hit the hit the um, T-shirt. So it made a complete mess of that T-shirt. Oh. I had to start that oh. again. This is a contrast here. Yeah, this this was uh, obviously desert ironing. Are you riding on your magic carpet there as you go through <laughs> I, the desert? I can hear the uh, like the cactus or cacti like hitting the bottom, like <laughs> burning up. I was like, it's crackling. It is oh. absolutely. And then, <laughs> nice. And then uh, yeah, this is uh, motorcycle ironing. Um, I think you're sitting on the motorcycle backwards. <laughs> He's that good. That is pretty good. <laughs> and I've even got my ironing hat on. You nearly got hit by that car. And this this was uh, the choreographed uh, portion. Oh, nice. We're doing a bit of uh, uh, ski ironing. Do you have a, hold on? Did, so, did you have a dead animal on your head for that last? Session? <laughs> I had a dead animal on my head for several of those. Uh, so Wait, yeah, let's see um, if we can. Uh... Oh, that's just I don't know. That's not an animal, is it? What is that? Uh, it's a uh, it's a woolly hat and a pair of earmuffs. Uh, so that was awesome. So that's what you wear when you're skiing. So yeah. <laughs> So anyway, I, I, I next time I might try some underwater ironing. I think that would be good, mm -hmm. and I might try some skydive ironing um, and see if I do better at Ooh. that. Oh, we've got a story about that later. Oh, we do. I don't think it involves All ironing right. though, does it? Cool. Might, might as well. well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <sighs> 
you already said too much. Okay. Uh, wow. That was, uh, so that was awesome. That was video. my week. Right? Yeah, that was, well, <laughs> the ironing was definitely the highlight, uh, to me. Rick cannot match that. Yeah. Rick, Rick is like in a, in a different league and, and we're not talking as high a league, a lower league. Well, I think his is more an instructional, um, yeah. video, yeah. quite honestly. Well, he's going to have to up his game, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. So that'll be that'll be in the show notes, right? Yes. What what will be in the show notes? Oh no no! They, I just want them to be able to the play video. Oh, so play the video. Play. Well, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do that yet. I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll figure out a way careful. to upload it it's on YouTube be and give you a link to it. And yeah, we'll 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 make sure that uh, people will be able to see that again. It's so good. <laughs> so I, I I might file copyright infringement. Oh, okay. See, <laughs> he's looking at that uh, lawsuit. Yeah, angle. I might monetize Cha that one. Yeah. Okay. Got to be careful now. Got to be careful what we say. All right. Well, that was funny. Uh, I really love that, Nick. That was uh, very well done. Can't wait well, to see the, work. the next yeah, I, A lot of training involved. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Nick Camacho, uh, the other Nick, uh, what have you been up to, sir? Uh, I haven't been up to a ton since the last time we chatted. I uh, flew my airplane this weekend again, still doing uh, some shakedown flights, got most of my squawks squared away, so everything's <laughs> important to get those everything's functioning away. now. Um, yeah. Other than that, just kind of catching up, um, you know, starting the process now of catching up on everything else that I kind of put on the back burner while I was working on the airplane. So mm -hmm. working and hanging out with the kids. My son just started his flag football league this week, Ooh, cool. so that's a new endeavor for him. He hasn't mm -hmm. played that before, so we'll see how that goes. Excellent. Any particular position or do they just like rotate positions? Yeah, they just rotate. At yeah. this point, I think if they can get them all running in the same direction, <laughs> that's a good thing. It's a win. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, anything, any updates with uh, the work environment or anything else? Just working hard? And yep. Nope. Just working hard. It looks yep. like maybe getting out to California in May, possibly. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, um, same old stuff. It'd be cool to fly my airplane out there. Yeah. Yeah, it would. How long would it take? Uh, it's about eight days? hours. It's about eight hours. Yeah. So, so you, would you do it all in one? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then no problem with the, getting over the Rockies or whatever? Nope. The only problem is the wind. As they go oh. higher, go in that direction, yeah, go in yeah. the wrong way. It works out well coming home. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. That'd be a, that would be a fun trip. Um, speaking of fun trips, um, I'm in the middle of one. And uh, that's why I'm here in Wichita, and I'm not on a layover. I'm actually uh, in my car. Well, not right now. We're in Nick's beautiful home uh, in the uh, multi-purpose basement area where there's a playroom and a home entertainment theater kind of set up. And then the spot that you normally see uh, Nick see when we're doing the show with the American flag behind him, that's over there in that corner. And uh, it's just a, it's a beautiful place. He has a beautiful family. I uh, got to meet them uh, a couple of hours ago when I, when I pulled up and Nick said, Hey, if you're in the Wichita area on your road trip, uh, please stop by. And then I thought, you know, let's see if we can kind of time it so that we can do the, the show together on Thursday. So yep. that's what we managed to do. So this was a lot of fun and uh, great. Uh, thank you for all your and your wife's hospitality. Absolutely. 
Steph's just pulling into the garage. Oh, Steph is just pulling into her garage. She'll be with us soon. That's perfect timing. I was, gonna, I was just going to say, you need to vamp a bit and she can. Oh, no, I have plenty of t- to talk about. So don't <laughs> worry. You'll have to take some of it. You're going to have to say, hey, Jeff, okay, that's enough. Cut it, cut it off. <laughs> um, Get the hook. Yeah. So, uh, so I, uh, for those of you who are um, part, uh, members of our Coffee Fund cadre, I've been putting out a couple of crew logs, including a video crew log. Uh, but, uh, basically what I am doing here is basically nuts and, uh, turns out, uh, completely, um, unnecessary. unnecessary. <laughs> so I, um, signed up for, um, well, a, a few months back, I start, signed up for the Starlink internet service, which is a low earth orbit, uh, satellite constellation providing internet service for most of the globe. And uh, Elon Musk, you may have heard of that guy, you know, the, the, doing the Starship and all the other rocket stuff. Uh, he is the one that came up with this idea for this low Earth orbit satellite constellation. And uh, they're now in their uh, version two um, of the of the dishes and that kind of thing. And I'm thinking this would be perfect for me uh, when I'm doing the full-time RV lifestyle to have one of these dishes or dishies as they like to call them in the Starlink world. And, uh, so I signed up for it and then it said, well, here, you know, we'll gladly take your deposit. And, uh, oh, by the way, you're not going to be able to get the service in your area until like the end of 2022, maybe mid, mid 2023. And I'm thinking, well, that's, that's no good. And meanwhile, I'm watching all these YouTube channels, uh, listening to podcasts about people in RVs and have their um, their dishes, and they're getting this great service out in the middle of nowhere in, in the boondocks, literally. And I'm thinking, I need this. I got to have it. And so I, when I saw that it was going to take that long, I canceled it. And then I was watching um, a YouTube channel, and they said, hey, here's how you get it a lot faster. And what you have to do, you have to figure out what area in the country uh, has service availability immediately. And so he kind of goes through and tells you about how how he figured out how he could find the service address in Hayes, Hayes, Kansas, I think. And he was in Colorado. Anyway, so I'm thinking, okay. So I start clicking around, clicking around. It's not an easy process. It, well, it is now. But at the time, it was not an easy process. And I figure, well... Apparently, there's nothing near me here in Georgia or Alabama or Tennessee or North Carolina. I'm going to have to go out west, too. That was the, a, a, a bad assumption because uh, after I re-signed up for the Starlink service, uh, while I was on my – well, first of all, I signed up for it, and I found an address in Dodge City, Kansas. That's why I'm here in Kansas. And I thought, oh, great. You know, I'm, I'm kind of scamming the system. I'm going to get my – dish right away and it's worth a couple of day drive out to dodge city kansas and a couple of days back to north georgia and then on literally on the second day so i've already made it from north georgia mountains to poplar blood yeah i got my dish i had it sent to my uh post office in uh, clayton georgia so i have that in my the trunk of my car i got a lithium ion battery to power the system and the router and everything else. And I'm thinking, man, you are one smart dude. You're one clever guy. And so I'm heading out and I get from the North Georgia mountains to Poplar Bluff, Missouri, and uh, spend the night there. And then the next day I'm in the car and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to listen to this uh, YouTube channel, this guy, you know, talking about Starlink updates. And he's, <laughs> it's like, 
brand new update, hot off the presses. There's a new functionality on the starlink.com page where you can click this little button in the upper left-hand corner of the screen and you can see, this is you know from Starlink, all of the service address availability throughout the world. And you can kind of zoom in and see you know where the service availability is. And I'm thinking, uh, I even mentioned it on uh, one of my crew logs <laughs> to, to our Coffee Fund cadre members. I said, I'm almost afraid to look at this because I'm afraid that I'm going to learn that I could have found an address much closer to where I'm currently residing in my cabin in the North Georgia mountains. So I finally did it. I went to it and I zoomed in and guess what? There is a, there's one cell in North Georgia and it happens to be within about 15, 20 minutes of my cabin. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm thinking, well, this this can't be right. So I put in an address, uh, the Batesville uh, Inn or something like that. This is a little place. No, it's not Bates Motel, but it's Batesville. (laughs) I was just going to say, I've heard of that place. (laughs) And I drive by this every time I go from the cabin to the airport or Roswell and then back to the cabin. I drive by this place. I don't know how many times, probably tens of maybe not quite hundreds of times yet, but I go by this every darn week, a couple of times. So I put in that address. And it said, "Congratulations, you're <laughs> that you're eligible <laughs> to get it right away." I'm like, "Oh gosh, I just spent all this time and money and gas." Thank goodness the gas prices are low right now. Yeah, good yeah, thing. Yeah, but you love a road trip. I do. See, that's the thing. I, I really, absolutely do love getting out there in the car and driving around, and and I I've been having a good time just seeing the. The, the parts of this country that I don't normally get to see because I'm always flying to relatively large cities or medium-sized cities and population centers. I'm not out there in the so – uh, A lot of cows. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, cows and chickens and, and uh, farms and it's – Oh, big cocks. Big, well, hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't want to talk about personal things, Nick. But, uh, <laughs> Speaking of oh, things. <laughs> 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 hmm. Uh, you came I, in I have no comment. Just on, uh, in, the, in the right to the, the oh, big I was rooster. To you said you saw a wow. big rooster. That's a lot. Yes. Very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find the rooster thing. I'm sure it's here somewhere. Oh, here we go. And what a beautiful cock it is. It was. Um, so, hello, Steph. What you Hi. Just perfect <laughs> just timing. Just ignore me. Keep going. Keep Hi, going. Steph. Okay. Good. We'll hear from uh, Steph here in a minute. Anyway, I, I really have been enjoying uh, the drive. And uh, hey, you know, the bonus is I get to be in person with uh, Nick Camacho at his but, home. Jeff, you did get your service set up. I did get Excellent. my, yes. Yeah, here's well, the punchline. I ended up getting, yes. I was going to say, like, were there any thoughts at all? Did you think for like five seconds, oh, if I turn around here, I can make it I back did. in a day? I did. Okay. I really did. And then I thought, I'm not sure how easy it's going to be to change the service address to that <sighs> place. And I'm thinking, I've already committed to this, so I'm going to keep going. And uh, so <laughs> I ended up, I've been, Kansas, uh, this time of year, uh, its weather patterns are amazing. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did look at the weather ahead of the time, and I, mm-hmm. there, I did see this storm system making its way through the, across the country. And I could see that uh, at some point, Tuesday night, Wednesday, early morning, there was going to be uh, some thunderstorm activity, possibly in the Dodge City area, but definitely over Wichita, and definitely it did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I thought I need to get out there, you know, get there by Tuesday and get my dish connected and establish service and all that kind of stuff, which I did, by the way, success. Um, and it, although I did feel uh, a little like I was a criminal because I picked this uh, Catholic Church oratory um spot in Dodge City, and I, I pulled it into their parking lot. And let me set the scene for you. I, what's what's the movie Mad Max uh, mm-hmm. with the uh, with the just apocalyptic? Liptic, uh, I don't know. How was, I have trouble yeah, with apop- that word. Apocalyptic. Apoc- yeah. apop- apocalyptic uh, setting. <laughs> Steph is laughing at me. Stop it. <laughs> and, uh, I muted my laughter, anyway. but yeah. Nick was smiling. Anyway, it, it was like this... I felt like the, 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 it was hot. It was like 84 degrees. The winds were amazing. I know that you get a lot of winds here in the plains, but oh my gosh, uh, they were like gusting to like 50, 60 knots. Maybe at that time it was only about 40 something knots. Still, it was significant and it was blowing all the, all the dust from the ranch and farmlands and, and, and literally tumbleweeds were going across the road. I was having a hard time keeping my Accord Sport on the road. I mean, there was that much wind. I mean, it was like blowing. I'm thinking, these poor people that are in trucks or RVs, I don't know how they're <laughs> keeping these things going straight down the road. Anyway, so we, I get there and I find this this parking lot and I, I thought, oh, there's a like a little garage over here next to this alley. So I'll set the car up there and maybe that will block some of this wind. Because I'm thinking I'm going to take this brand new Starlink dish and set it down on the ground. And, you know, it's not anchored to anything and it's going to blow away and be destroyed uh, from the wind. So I actually had my foot on the, one of the legs of this uh, little uh, stand that this thing mounts on. And I fired it up and got it going and established my service. And I thought, okay, that's good. Put it all back away, put it back in the trunk, went to my hotel and hunkered down because it was just, ugh. I mean, it was hot and windy, and then the next day, it was still windy, but it was cold and windy. I think the wind chill when I left Dodge City was like minus 2 C, like 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, It was chilly. And uh, anyway, and one of the cool things I got to do as well when I was going back from Dodge City to Wichita was I stopped, I was just thinking about the fact that, I, you know, we talked about this before, but they used to have this air, airway beacon concrete arrow system for the early uh, air routes, uh, the airmail routes that we had here in the country. And I'm thinking, huh, I bet there might be some out here somewhere. So I pulled off the road and entered this uh, information in my phone's uh, internet browser. And sure enough, there were like, I think there are five concrete arrows still in some semblance of existence and eight beacon towers here in Kansas. There were a bunch of them here. A lot lot of the routes across the country and from this one happened to be the one that I ended up going to was between Amarillo and Kansas City. Uh, The bearing was like 053. And uh, so I found this place. I'm thinking, that's not really that far out of the way. So I'm going to go. I put that in the Google Maps and and let it take me uh, along dirt roads and everything else to get to the spot. But I found it. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to actually get right up on it to take a nice picture of it because it was, you know, there were bar- barbed wire fences and need a drone. yeah, I need, I need a drone. You're right, Liz. I need to get a drone. But um, anyway, um, but I, w- I confirmed by looking at this website, they have some drone pictures and some pictures from airplanes uh, of where I was 
you know, trying to find this thing. And I kind of found a little bit of a landmark to kind of orient myself off of. And sure enough, I, I did find that uh, concrete arrow. I saw kind of a at a very low angle, but I, I could tell where the where the concrete arrow was. But it was just kind of fun. Just the adventure of trying to find the right spot was uh, was a lot of fun. So I, I want to do more of that in the future. But uh, this one was in um, uh, what was it called? It starts with a D in Harper County or something Danville. like that. Danville, Danville in the Harper County. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a lot of fun. Did a uh, a video for uh, the patrons um, regarding that. So. Um, yeah, so that's what I. Oh, and then I got here to Wichita, and uh, stayed in a uh, kind of sketchy um, uh, bed and breakfast or Airbnb last night, and uh, go to bed, and then I wake up in the morning and I look out the window and it's snowing. <laughs> so I've gone from you weren't expecting that then. No, and everybody I talked to in Wichita said that they were expecting the thunderstorms. The day before and the high winds, but uh, in fact, even Nick said this, that they were not uh, forecasting snow. And my car had like four inches of snow on it when I walked out to it this morning. I think, great. I don't even have one of those brushes or scrapers or anything in my car. So the Starlink uh, antenna box came in handy because there was like a cardstock thing in there that I used and folded up and that's what I used to it wasn't like real frosty you could just like get a, a credit card out and like start no it was away. it wasn't it wasn't like that thankfully it okay. wasn't like icy Ice. it was a uh, very very fluffy powder yeah it was pretty fortunate because uh yeah it was like it was like big heavy flakes mm-hmm. and then it, it was so hot the day before that we got like two or three inches of snow but the roads were still so warm that the roads never got any accumulation on them. So all of the lawns, you know, had thick snow on it. And then all the roads Cars. were completely clear. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize you had heated roads out there. That's so <laughs> They're very fancy here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've seen the uh, the whole gamut of uh, weather since I've been here in Kansas. And it's... So were you doing anything before your road trip? Did I do anything before? Any meetups or anything? I did, Liz. Thank you for reminding me. I, I did. Uh, so the last trip I was... Um, uh, in Madison, uh, Wisconsin, uh, for the recording of uh, episode 514. And uh, we talked about the an amazing meetup with Sean and Karen King and Larry Gregory, uh, the geezer, uh, in, uh, in uh, where was I? Um, Tulsa. Tulsa, thank you. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. And uh, the next day, I ended up in Newark, with a layover in Jersey City. And uh, Tanya spotted that I was going to be in Jersey City, and so did um, a relatively new uh, APG community member. And uh, I made a recording of our little meetup. Well, yeah, you're both (laughs) knockouts. I mean, that's a requirement to be part of the APG community if you're a female. you got to be just knockout gorgeous. Drop dead. Drop dead. And, and, and a, a chick who loves airplanes. I mean, what? What? Really? What more? Helicopters, maybe. Helicopters? Wait a minute. I don't know if you hear that voice in the background. I'm here in uh, Jersey City on uh, day three of my four-day trip, uh, and we're staying at the West End. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, we're at this place called the Hudson Bar and Grill, I think. We're pretty sure that's 
Hudson, Hudson and Company, Hudson and Co. On the Hudson River, uh, looking out over the Hudson River and the uh, skyline of uh, Manhattan in the background. It's beautiful. Uh, well, it's kind of a dreary day, but, you know, you get the picture. It's still beautiful in its own dark, like, Gotham City Batman movie way. The old movies. I mean, the new ones. The new ones. Anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, Tanya contacted me and said, hey, I see you're going to be uh, in Newark overnight. Uh, you know, want to get together? I said, sure, and then mentioned it on the show that we just recorded yesterday. Ryan... I guess you must have been listening to the show yesterday, or do you just look at the uh, schedule I online? I looked at the schedule, and I saw that you're... Whoa. <laughs> I happened to look at the schedule and saw that you're in town. I thought I'd reach out and see if I could join, uh, have a nice IPA here in Hoboken, or Jersey City, or wherever we are. Wherever we are. Okay, this is uh, Ryan Beezy. Beezy. And he is a Sikorsky helicopter pilot. That's why he said, you know, what else could you want? Beautiful woman someone who loves looking at airplanes and also is like into helicopters and especially helicopter pilots. I don't know. He didn't actually say that. I, I just had that. So why don't you talk to the community, tell us a little bit about you, Ryan. Well, I live here in New York City. I fly helicopters uh, around taking uh, well-to-do clients to meet their private jets or to their golf course or whatever they want to do. Uh, different side of aviation, but um, still part of the community. And uh, just happy to be here with Jeff and Tanya and looking forward to um, enjoying our dinner. We're looking forward to it as well. And several of the people that we know in the APG community fly like corporate aviation and kind of fly the same kind of clients that you do in, in your line of work. So, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and Tanya wants to say hi. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here with Jeff. It's the first time I've seen him since May of 2020 when he was flying one of his last Mad Dog flights and a whole bunch of us like came out to celebrate. So this is absolutely wonderful. It's great to be here and to meet APG community member Ryan and get to know him. So we're just having a grand old time. <laughs> we are. We are. This, You know, I just realized this is the second meetup with APG community people on one trip. Wow, I think it might be a first. Anyway, uh, so Tanya said, you know what? We should probably get the recording thing out of the way before it gets too noisy. I know it's already kind of noisy here in the, in the background, but uh, so uh, we're gonna do that. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and shut this thing down and we're gonna drink our IPA and cocktails and uh, have some a bite to eat and, and sip the water, yes. And uh, we're gonna talk about airplanes and life in general, so. That's it. So back to you all in the studio. Well, thank you very much. So great time at uh, Hudson and Co. Bar and Grill right there on the Hudson River on the New Jersey side. And uh, yeah, great to see Tanya and nice to meet Ryan. Now, Ryan was in the chat room earlier. I don't know if he's uh, still with us. Oh, he had to do like a fly airplane uh, helicopters. <laughs> yeah, he had to take off. Ah, very funny. All right. Um, let's see. Well, before we get on with anything else and any other meetups, let's uh, let's do this. It is a doctor, skydiver, and so many more things. Mostly, just an awesome woman. Her name, Doctor Steph. Hey, hey, glad I finally made it. Sorry for my tardiness. Uh, work has been a challenge this week. Um, and by challenge, I just mean very busy. So nothing crazy, just 
I don't know. My schedule seems to have doubled all of a sudden in size, which I guess is a good problem to have, but it's really eating into my valuable APG time. So um, I'll just have to talk to my bosses about it. I'm sure they understand. Aren't you your own boss? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Not so. But I have a responsibility to, um, you know, pull my weight around the place. Yeah. So. Which, yeah. Not much of that. No. You know, I got to I gotta make up for it, I guess, with extra patience on my schedule. So mm. my lack of actual weight. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Good to be here. Good, good to see you guys. Good Good to uh, see you. And uh, fill you in on us. what I've been doing or yeah. you have more you said you, you mentioned you have more meetup stuff to talk about or yeah but we can uh but not me uh specifically oh. just uh apg community member meetup so, uh, uh, so okay. now it's gotcha. you it's all you stuff it's all about me yeah. it's me um well i kind of already told you part of it i've just been crazy busy this week um um monday and wednesday not so bad but tuesday just absolutely slammed thursday today just absolutely slammed um <clears throat> a couple of the IT hiccups this afternoon too that kept me in the office a little bit longer than planned. I guess our um, I work in a couple of the satellite offices for our, our company, and I guess the power went out at the main it's office this afternoon, and they have like an hour of backup power, and then after that it's just all chaos, and it affects all the other systems and all the other satellite offices. So um, I was kind of working under a deadline to make sure I had everything done and done before the end of the month, and um, um, and one thing I need to print out that wouldn't print once that happened, but yeah, it's all right. Well, not a big deal. And I'm glad I got the work done. I need to get done. So thank you for letting me be a little bit tardy today to, to get all that work. Anyway, done. Anyway, we, we can have you on the show. We, we put up with yeah. it just about anything. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I should, so I should push those boundaries a little bit more is what you're saying. No, no, I'm not saying that. Oh, oh. mistranslation. I was going to, <laughs> Sorry, I take that back then. Um, okay. I will stop planning the things I was planning to do. No, um, you mentioned it being very strange weather there in Kansas. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been windy here. I'll tell you what, like just crazy windy for the past, man, it's like every weekend. It seems like it's, it's super windy. This past weekend, not an exception. Um, you know, 25, 30 knot uh, gusts in the afternoon, which isn't ridiculous but it, it doesn't make um you know flying or jumping very fun how many skydivers did you lose this week that number <laughs> <laughs> but it was a um yeah, it was an interesting weekend we did fly some um i was hoping to beat the i had an early day on friday because my uh, younger brother came to town for a visit for the weekend we were actually hoping for three good days of weather because he's been working on um trying to finish his uh, A license for skydiving. And he's got just a handful of jumps left to do, but it's been a little bit of a break. So he was going to try and, and if the weather was nice, knock some of that out. And he didn't get to do anything because it was too windy for students to do any jumping. He did get to watch um, some experienced jumpers try their hand in stiff uh, stiff winds. And um, I think that's always a good ex good thing for um, those who are not as experienced to, to see how that's a bit of a struggle and... Um, why we make the decisions we make in terms of personal limits and, and things along those lines. Um, we didn't fly at all on Saturday cause it was too windy. And then Sunday I actually got two jumps in, in the morning, um, before it got really ridiculously windy. And then same thing, just, uh, I think, I think we flew from 9am until about, I don't even think it was noon. I think it was probably like 11 call it a day. Cause it just got very gusty, very, Gusty wasn't the only problem. It was variable. It was, you know, like 90 degrees variable uh, winds and 
yeah, just not great conditions for, for jumping. So, but good news is I am, I'm back in the air current for jumping because I hadn't made a jump since November 28th, I think. Um, yeah, so, you know, I was, I was, I did the things I'm supposed to do. You're supposed to just with the license that I have after 90 days, you have to do a recurrency jump with the coach. So, um, grabbed one of the coaches and we made a very loose plan for what we we're going to do. And then, um, ended up, um, having some other folks tag along with us because they weren't allowed to do the low pass that they wanted to do because of air traffic control considerations. And, um, we, we basically winged it. We, we uh, all jumped together and actually had a very nice guide out of it. It was pretty fun. Cool. So, yeah. Um, what else, man? Not much else. I'm just, oh, the only other thing. And, um, while you're doing the coffee fund and or plain tales, I'll probably sneak away for a little bit. Um, one of my little puppies, I think is having some GI distress. Oh no. He had to go out every hour on the hour last night. Mm. Um, and yesterday, apparently, he, he had left some surprises around the house, and um, today was no exception. Um, I found some downstairs Uh-oh. when I walked in the door, which I was like, I'll deal with that later. And then I came up here to the office, and I'm like... What's that? Yeah. And I couldn't find it at first. But now that I'm sitting here, and I have an interesting angle to look underneath the desk, I see it there. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's been there a while. Uh, it's okay, and I'm not in danger of stepping on it. Surprise! I've done that. I, 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 you know, just tells me I can trust my nose. It does work. And, uh, there is uh, brilliant. Yeesh. Yeah. It's a small amount. Thanks for sharing that. Special. Well, you know, yeah, it's contributing to my fatigue. I feel like I'm taking care of a small, small child, like getting up every hour to yeah. let the dog out in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, mm. kind of tired. Not fun. The long work days. And then, yeah. Such is life. You know, yeah. The good, the good and the bad. Yeah. Say lovey. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> that's a great way to end it, Steph. Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, you wanted to know everything going on in my life. That's, there you, there you go. says, that stinks, Steph. That stinks. That stinks. It does stink. It really does. Thanks. <laughs> the good thing we don't have smell vision That's what uh, Liz yeah, also it's added. Not, it's not pleasant. Yeah, it's pleasant, probably not. Probably crack open the windows, too, because yeah. we're back to like almost 80 degrees this afternoon oh, wow. after crazy storms and, and rain this morning. So the sun came out and everything got hot. Do some ventilation. Yes. Well, while you're doing that, uh, yeah, let's talk about the uh, cover art from our last episode, which is uh, at what which was entitled "The Whole Crew Plus One Extra," and uh, that's a, a picture of the gallery or the gallery view of all of the participants, which we noted was I think the first time that we had. That many of us all together on one show. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, Nick got pretty uh, fancy and clever with uh, the show with number. And uh, oh, yeah. The number. yeah. And uh, I, I there is no way that I could have figured this out had I not seen the conversation amongst other crew members uh, regarding uh, where he hid all of the different uh, letters and numbers. For instance, if you look and we're, we're looking at the cover art right now, and, and if you're listening to the audio only, if you're listening on a, uh, a podcast client that supports uh, chapter images, uh, you're looking at it as well. Uh, in my uh, video and right behind just to the left of my head from the way we're looking at it is a sideways a 
Uh, he used uh, some of the trim of the headboard behind me to uh, form uh, the letter A. That's about the only one that to me was obvious. <laughs> I didn't really, uh, couldn't see anything else, especially the one, I, I'm not, I still don't see the one in Rick's um, photo, Nick, of uh, that, is that like a projector or something that's behind him? Yeah, it's the uh, it's the top reel of the projector. I, I've, I've put an upright uh, to the left of the top reel and I've taken oh. the, I've taken part of the um, spokes away, so that makes a letter P. Oh, okay. That's very mean. And then uh, there's a G on Steph's globe. That was hard to see because I matched it in. Yeah, I didn't see that at all, but that makes sense. G for globe. Mm -hmm. uh, there you go. That's uh, I never even thought of that. <laughs> there's a, a five uh, on my right shoulder. In the um, pattern of my shirt. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Very faintly, I could see yeah, that. The easy but one there with Nick is that uh, part of the B on his hat uh, has a number one in it. Okay. And that should be quite clear. Yeah, as long as and somebody is circling it for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> similarly, on, uh, on Liz's uh, microphone, uh, the shock's... The shock holder. Oh yeah, I did see the, that. Uh, the there's a number four, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of pointing towards her nose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it does. I didn't design see, it that way. Part of the problem way, is but... you have to remember which show number it is in order to, be able to find all these <laughs> yeah. numbers. I couldn't remember. Uh, well, I yeah, I put some easy ones up recently, so uh, this was probably one of the harder ones. It was. I think you have a lot and of congratulations fun doing this. to anyone who found it without <laughs> the clues. By the way, yeah. As I said, I, I couldn't. I couldn't have done it had I not seen the image with the red, you know, the marker, you know, circling all the different parts. Yeah. I mean, even then I was like, huh? Yeah. Good job. Oh, and uh, thanks to uh, our friend from uh, Omega Town, uh, Marcus Volta, who uh, on Twitter uh, came up with the clever. He, he saw uh, Tim Van Ram's um, screenshot of us doing the show mm -hmm. and said, oh, you're the whole crew plus one extra. And I, I scratched my head and went, one extra? What are you talking about? And then, of course, I realized that I had a, an extra 300 or something aerobatic aircraft behind me. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, that's clever. Actually, that's very clever, Marcus. Thank you. Well, I'll I thought that that's that. what you meant by that, actually. No. Uh, well, no, no. Marcus came up with oh. it. I just, I plagiarized. Okay. I stole his joke <laughs> I out of Twitter. Somebody else said something about the fact that they should have been named a whole crew plus one extra. Yeah, it's fairly, more know. obvious that way. But we're not an a whole crew. We're well, a really nice bunch depends of people. Depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yes. No, I wasn't going to do that. Definitely. After all, I'm one of the crew <laughs> one of the a-holes <laughs> exactly <laughs> i probably am the <laughs> no all right oh i should mention that um i i receive anything any more commentary about the um the cover art no, no. i'm okay. looking forward to uh, this week so i have no idea what that'll be neither do we <laughs> you'll come up with something very clever i'm sure um 
So uh, David Lieb contacted me. He's one of our Coffee Fun Cadre members, and uh, he was looking at the APG community calendar where I usually have my schedule. And he noticed that I was going to be in White Plains, uh, Westchester. Um, oh, my God. Mm. Is someone coming through the wall of your studio? <laughs> uh, I think they're doing gymnastics or something uh, upstairs. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, he says, uh, would a meetup maybe be in order? He said, I'll be there on the 12th of April. And that's when I'm going to be there. And so uh, we're just putting that out there that uh, perhaps that's, I think, a Tuesday. Uh, perhaps um, we can have a meetup there in uh, White Plains. I, I, my hotel's in uh, right downtown White Plains. And uh, I know Radio Roger Radio is in Roger. the area and uh, our new friend, community member, and also uh, Coffee Fund cadre member, uh, Ryan Beasy, where, where we just had him on the, uh, on the uh, Newark layover uh, meetup. He's in that, well, not really in the area. He's actually in Brooklyn, but I think he works in um, Bridgeport. Uh, he has a long drive. That's why he ends up listening to podcasts, uh, ours amongst, I'm sure, many. Uh, so maybe uh, he can work that out so that he can uh, meet up with us as well. So I'm sure there are a lot of people up there in the uh, greater New York area that might be able to make a meetup. So we'll try to, you know, put out details of that if that uh, transpires. No. Is that right? Transpires? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why that didn't sound right to me. Um, Not expires. Or perspires. <laughs> um, okay. Um, expires. Also. Are you going to do the meetup of the guys? Yeah, I am, uh, Liz. But, but b before I do that, I'm going to mention uh, Camacho Man here uh, mentioned that next, not next month, um, in May, uh, in Atlanta is the uh, Naval Air Station Atlanta Air Show, and that's May 14th. And uh, that might be a, another good opportunity to uh, have uh, some sort of meetup in the Atlanta area. So it's usually a really good show, and, um, and they usually have the uh, Blue Angels there. I don't know. if Does it say that that is one of the members? No, okay. It does not say anything about them. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll uh, we'll we'll try to get some updates on that. But uh, anyway, so thank you for mm -hmm. mentioning that the NAS uh, Air Show, NAS yeah, Atlanta Air Show. Tree Airport proudly presents. Oh, did, see that? Oh, I did not. Oh, I see. I was thinking it was at uh, Dobbins Air Force Base at uh, DeKalb Peachtree Airport. Oh, okay. Where well, we had we've had a couple of meetups there at the Fifty uh, Seventh Fighter Group. Maybe we can use that as a venue, possibly. Anyway. Oh, I just thought we'd throw that out there. Okay. And now, speaking of meetups, uh, you don't have, you know, you can have your own meetup out there. You don't have to have one of the APG crew members present to uh, to do that. And uh, here is a good example of that from JJ and Paul. Greetings, APG crew. It's JJ from Kalamazoo. Actually, all right, you got me. It's JJ Pittsburgh. I am actually on an interesting APG meetup right now. I'm on the road with none other than Paul from the APG community. Um, I will pass the mic over to him in a minute, but I will give my the reason for my feedback. And that is, I'm curious if any of the APG crew is going to Oshkosh Air Venture. 
Um, I have the time off from work, so I'm definitely planning on going. Just got to, you know, cinch up those details, but I am definitely planning on going. So I hope that a bunch of guys from the community and gals are going to show up and we could um, have a meeting of the minds. Um, And also, before I pass it to Paul, um, I want to mention that I am now proud owner of 10 shares of Acme Airlines stock. All right, so take it away, Paul. Thanks, JJ. Hey, crew, what's going on? I have a burning question. Uh Uh-oh. Captain Nick. Gotta get a cream for that. I heard that there are people from the UK are going to Ukraine to fight. And this was actually something that was mentioned by, I think, the foreign minister of the UK, that he would let people go and support them if they went to fight in the Ukraine. So I was just kind of curious if they said, hey, Captain Nick, we'd like to give you an F-4 Phantom. All the ammo you could use, all the gas you can burn. Would you go to take a few shots at the Russians? Just kind of curious, because I know you still have it. I'm sure you still have it, because when I saw you at the Air Force Museum, he needs a cream for that sitting too, in that cockpit, going through the checklist, just like you've been doing it all throughout your entire life. And you didn't seem like you even missed the beat. Just kind of curious, would you even entertain the thought? Probably not, but I just, it was just a question. I was just kind of curious how you would answer it. Anyways, that's my burning question. Um, this is, this is pretty cool little trip JJ and I are taking. We're going to, we're, he's taking me to pick up a car and, uh, we figured let's do something totally different. We're not going to end up being all that much Anyways, crew, than the two-hour mark. We anyway. all love you guys. So you guys take care. Thanks for all you do. Here's JJ. Thanks, Paul. Anyway, we will talk to you soon. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. Thank you, JJ. Pittsburgh and Paul. Uh, first question asked was any of us. Uh, I know there are a bunch of people in the ABG community going to be going to Oshkosh this year. And on the crew, um, the only one that I can say for sure is going is moi. Uh, I'm planning on being there uh, for for the week. Um, With your Starlink? (coughs) With my Starlink dish? No, I doubt it because I'm going to be uh, in a dormitory um, staying with uh, several of the the, uh, APG community members. And... uh, I don't think I'll have the RV by then. Although, you know what? I'll be driving most likely and because uh, I do like driving. And so maybe I'll just have the Starlink dish in my in my trunk and just set it up somewhere and do some kind of a live recording of a show up there. That's a good idea. Thank you, Liz. That would be fun, Jeff. That would yeah. be great. Um, Nick, are you uh, coming over? Uh, Nick, Captain Nick, are you coming over uh, to uh, Oshkosh? No, no plans this summer. Probably not, yeah. Uh, I It'll be um, another month or so before Jilly is uh, able to get around freely with her oh, yeah. knee, and I have a lot of commitments this uh, summer already, so I, I doubt it very much. Oh, but, well, uh, that'd be fun. Maybe maybe next year. 
Um, Nick C, are you planning on going? Yep. Really? Are you going to be uh, flying the airplane? Probably. Ooh, that should be fun. So, depending on how much time you have, yeah, maybe you can drive here. Oh, yeah. And can, fly up with me. Ooh. Can I put my dish in there? It's a pretty big airplane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how big your dish is. It's not this. It's only, ni- it's only 19 by 12 inches. It's a small dish. Yeah, how big is your equipment? <laughs> yeah, well, you could wear it on your head. Yeah, yeah. you'll find out later. Nope, we could totally um, make that work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, Liz. Liz got that one. She's, I made her laugh. I always enjoy that. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, would be, that would be really a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. let's talk. Yeah. All right. If you if you like me for your co-pilot, if you trust me enough to sit in the co-pilot seat, uh, just don't let him touch anything. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've flown in other people's airplanes and they've never let me touch the controls. You've never flown in my airplane, though. Well, I know. I'd yeah. definitely let you fly. Would you? Okay. Maybe. Now, Mike. Referring to the next question here. Maybe a little bit. Okay. Um, I haul is. Uh, okay. So the next question that was asked here by Paul uh, was specifically to Captain Nick regarding cranking, up, getting in that F4, you know, cranking it up and loading it up with ammo and shooting them Russians. <laughs> what, what, what do you think? Well, hi, JJ. Paul, sounds like you two had a great time, and uh, I love your imagination. Um, yeah, I, uh, of course, I feel incredibly strongly um, uh, about what's going on over in Ukraine, and, and I'm fully, I would fully support anything I could do to help the Ukrainians. I don't know if I'd be a help or a hindrance, quite honestly, because. Uh, uh, the F four was an awful long time ago, uh, and um, uh, quite—it's yeah, not really up to the latest generation of uh, military equipment. That has it, more to do with the pilot, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it would be fun uh, trying, but I don't think I'd come back from it. That would be the only thing that might upset Mrs. Anderson. Win win. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd need permission, <laughs> but uh, I do take my. <laughs> I, that it just it. took me a second wow. to hear. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a fair pension pot she could uh, hang on to there. Well, that, I, yeah. I thought it was going to be too mean to point out that not only is the F-4 now retired from most of our allied forces, but most of them are even getting rid of the F-18 models that Captain Nick Oh, flew. absolutely. Now, if someone gave me an F-18 and, and <laughs> yeah, and bombed me up, I'd be happy wow. to wheel and deal with that. That's that's a different kettle of fish uh, <laughs> yeah. because that, that'd be like shooting rats in a barrel. As long but, as the uh, Russians agreed to no more than plus or minus two Gs to kind of take care of your neck and your back. Oh, we're talking ground <laughs> attack. Those bomber pukes never pull G, so... Uh, uh, Oh man, I had so many comments for that that story, the British Airways story. It's probably better that I wasn't here for it. Cause yeah, because yeah. now you know take no one would ever patients. come see me as a patient. Yeah. yeah, I'd have to take them on as patients, and then they'd be very unhappy with me. No, yeah. pilots yeah. are always happy. You could have you could have told told me exactly which of my vertebrae I was I was uh, wearing out to go doing into. that job. Uh-huh. I could I could probably tell you without even uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Mm. Excellent. Well, always, always good to hear from our community members. And really, we encourage you, just as JJ and Paul did, get together and, and have a party. And I think you'll have more fun when we're not there, actually. 
you know, to be honest. <laughs> we're so, not that exciting yeah. in person. No, we're not. We're kinda... really duds when you <laughs> meet us in person. <laughs> just drink a lot, yeah. Liz. I can, <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> that's, why Nick, that's why Captain Nick doesn't hang out with us anymore. <laughs> Shut up, Nick. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it is. Coffee fun. Coffee fun time. Okay, Liz. Moving along, moving along. Here we go. Nick wants to get I know. Here we go. <laughs> Johnny, how much more coffee? Nice one, Liz. Whoa. I love coffee. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Great camera work there. Nice. That was great. That was, I'm not drinking. Liz says, sorry about that. I'm not even drinking. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. Okay, well, that's good. I'm just, I didn't do it. I didn't do I think, I think Nick is doing this. Um, okay. <laughs> wow. We've gone through half of my coffee fun segment. Okay, here we go. Let's uh, throw up. <laughs> Literally, uh, the coffee fun classic method. Alistair, Care, and Ryan Beasy, uh, the guy that was in that uh, Newark meetup, our uh, relatively new member of our community. And uh, that's one way to contribute to our coffee fund. And the other is to become a patron. And look, again, Ryan wants to monopolize this show. Uh, Ryan has yeah, become Ryan a Beasy producer. The Ryan Beasy Show. There's your show title. And uh, Andrew Loshman, another new producer. Uh, hopefully I pronounced your name correctly, Andrew. Uh, if not, send in some audio feedback and tell us how. And so if you want to join this great group of folks, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. Ba-doom, bam. Now we're going to go right into the plane tail. We are going to go right into the plane tail so that... Uh, our fine, proper gentleman will uh, be able to go to bed soon. Uh, nurse Nikki, yeah, I need to be up early to look after Steph Mrs. A. Very, very good. And Steph will be able to do some cleanup, Liz adds. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to put it on speaker, though, so I can hear. Because it's in this room, so okay. we're, we're good. I'll All be right. paying attention. Well, <laughs> let's move on then to this week's episode or installment of the old pilot's plane tales and it's entitled don't upset the jet one the old pilot's plane tales don't upset the jet one with the arrival of jet-powered airliners commercial pilots entered a new world of high altitude flying in large swept-wing aircraft at velocities approaching the speed of sound. They were often unprepared for the challenge and before long unexpected and unexplained loss of control events began to worry the world of aviation. These events initially occurred when an aircraft was upset from its normal benign straight and level environment and ended up in a high-speed dive, something that was rare in the earlier days of straight-winged, piston-powered airliners. Hence, they became known as jet upsets. Coffin Corner had previously been the preserve of military test pilots, 
who drove their aircraft ever higher into the rarefied air, probing and pushing at the edges of the manoeuvre envelope to reach the absolute limits of speed and aerodynamic performance. This was where the maximum altitude met maximum Mach number at the stalling speed. A speed increase might overstress the airframe, a speed decrease or just a gentle bank might result in an aerodynamic stall. Either could lead to a loss of control. With luck, a recovery might be achieved with just a massive change in height and a bent aircraft through overspeed or over-G during the pullout. Jet airliner pilots were now being asked to fly in this potentially hazardous corner of the flight envelope where they often had only 10 or 20 knots between their maximum and minimum speeds because it was here that their aircraft was at its most efficient. Their jet engines thrived on the fast delivery of the cold, thin air that exists at high altitudes. As investigations into mishaps grew, it became obvious that there were many causes for loss of control that went beyond mishandling and misunderstanding the problems of high-altitude flight. There are still several definitions that exist for aircraft upsets, but they all include phrases such as unintentionally exceeding the parameters normally experienced and abnormal attitudes and gross over or under speed conditions. They include limits, which are generally around a pitch attitude greater than 25 degrees nose up and 10 degrees nose down, and a bank angle above 45 degrees. Speed excursions include flying at an airspeed inappropriate for the conditions, or an airspeed versus manoeuvre loading outside the normal flight envelope. Another definition would be an airplane unintentionally exceeding the parameters normally experienced in line operations. The causes of an aircraft upset have grown to encompass environmental factors such as turbulence, wind shear, microbursts, wake turbulence and icing, system anomalies like flight instrument failures, autoflight anomalies and flight control faults. Finally, the pilots themselves are another weak link that might cause an aircraft upset because of instrument misinterpretation or a slow instrument scan, inattention or distraction, vertigo or spatial disorientation, or perhaps the improper use or reliance on aircraft automation. There are other human factors that can contribute to the severity and lack of response when an upset occurs, such as the startle effect, which can lead to inaction and or an inappropriate level of control input. In the past, many of the techniques that are becoming compulsory study items for pilots had to be learned the hard way by the examination of previous incidents or, more sadly, accidents. This early example occurred in 1959 to a Pan Am Boeing 707 
Clipper, Washington, a night flight en route from Paris to New York. They were in the cruise at 35,000 feet approaching Newfoundland when the aircraft commander, Captain Waldo Lynch, left the cockpit and entered the aircraft's main cabin, leaving a second captain in the right-hand seat in charge with the flight engineer and navigator. Whilst he was gone, the navigator asked for a 20-degree heading change, which the right-seat captain applied through the autopilot, and then he began working on a calculation on his clipboard. Unbeknown to him, because his warning light was turned fully dim, the autopilot had disengaged itself. The first indication that things weren't going well was buffeting through the airframe, followed by a rapid increase in G-forces on his body. His instrument lights went out, and glancing at the left seat instruments, it appeared that the commander's artificial horizon had toppled and was spinning. Looking up, he could see the stars moving rapidly around, so he attempted to stop the roll with aileron and rudder. He was almost held immobile by the acceleration forces on his body and various warnings were sounding, including a fire warning light and the Mac warning bell. By this time, the commander, Captain Lynch, had struggled back into the cockpit. As he passed the flight engineer, he was reminded that the engines were still at cruise thrust, so as he levered himself into his seat and with the airspeed needle literally wound past the end stop, he pulled them back to idle. He shouted, I have command! And as his artificial horizon was toppled, he used the turn and slip instrument and rolled right to wings level. He saw that the stabiliser was trimmed full nose down, but he couldn't move it with the trim switch, as the engineer had isolated the system, thinking it might have run away. The G began to ease, and the flying engineer moved to straddle the centre console and roll both stabiliser trim wheels upwards by hand. Passing 8,000 feet in the descent the commander began a strong pull on the yoke to pitch the aircraft up. They bottomed out at 6,000 feet, and with a sudden onset of buffeting and violent pounding, they began to climb back up. They diverted the aircraft to Gander, where they discovered extensive structural damage, mainly buckles in the skin of both horizontal stabilisers, wing panels, engine nacelles, plus various webs, trims and control rod damage. Analysis showed that after the autopilot disengaged, the aircraft gently entered a nose-down spiral, a stability design acceptable since it's a relatively benign manoeuvre and easy to correct in the early stages when compared with the alternative, Dutch roll instability, which can become divergent and violent. However, if uncorrected, a spiral descent will tighten and steepen, as occurred in this case, particularly since the right-seat pilot had inadvertently trimmed the aircraft full nose down. 
Of note, the crew failed to use the speed brakes, something they might have remembered had they received a modern aircraft upset training. A different situation in this incident, but one that was attributed to an aircraft flying too close to Coffin Corner. Compounded by poor analysis and crew cooperation, the aircraft was a type familiar to our Captain Jeff, an MD-82 operated by West Caribbean Airways and in the cruise between Panama City and Martinique. It was a charter flight and the 152 passengers, bar one, were all French, but the eight crew were Colombians since the aircraft was based in Medellin. The captain had initially climbed to 31,000 feet, but was forced to keep the aircraft's anti-ice system on, so elected to climb higher to 33,000 feet, so they could operate without it, since it reduced the efficiency of the engines. Though within five minutes of reaching the high level, the crew had been forced to turn the system back on. What they didn't appreciate was that at their weight... They were at their absolute maximum altitude and needed full power to stay there. When they activated the anti system, air was bled from the engines to feed it, reducing its power. Their maximum theoretical altitude was actually 31,900 feet. With the autopilot set to maintain altitude, the aircraft wouldn't descend, so something had to give the aircraft began to slow down. It took a little while, but eventually the captain noticed the reduction in power, but he didn't relate it to the anti-ice system. Instead, dangerously close to stalling, and now with a very high angle of attack, he initiated a descent. The aircraft had been teetering on the edge of a stall, and in the descent they hit turbulence, which disturbed the airflow into the engines further, reducing their output. Then, finally, the wing went beyond its critical angle of attack and stalled. It was the first officer who realised what was going on, and who correctly diagnosed the issue, but distracted by the engine indications, the captain overruled him, insisting that they had had a double-engine flame-out and telling him to put out a mayday. There was nothing wrong with the engines. He then exacerbated the situation by failing to lower the nose to recover from the stall. In fact, he pulled it further up. In a situation eerily reminiscent of Air France 447, in less than three minutes, the aircraft plummeted 33,000 feet, reaching a rate of descent of over 18,000 feet per minute, and yet no stall recovery was attempted. Everybody on board died, and the next day, the airline, already close to bankruptcy, shut its doors for the last time. Analysis of the accident after showed that crews should always have access to accurate and manufacturer-approved data on the characteristics of their aircraft, something that this crew lacked. They should also have received regular and appropriate simulator training, particularly since their type was prone to deep stalls. This was the worst accident in the history 
of the MD-82. In 2005, the same year that West Caribbean Airways shut down, a Malaysian 777 was on its climb out from Perth in Western Australia, bound for Kuala Lumpur. It was passing flight level 380 when the ECAS, the Engine Indication and Crew Alerting System, showed a low airspeed advisory message. At the same time, the pilots noticed that their PFDs, their primary flight displays, showed slip and skid indications both full right, whilst the airspeed indicator was rapidly approaching the overspeed limit. The aircraft autopilot then pitched the aircraft up and climbed to approximately flight level 410, whilst the airspeed dropped from 270 to 158 knots, a dangerously low indication that was accompanied by the stall warning and the stick shaker, both warnings of an impending stall. At this point, the captain took control, disconnected the autopilot and lowered the nose. As he did this, the autothrottle commanded an increase in engine thrust, which he manually countered by moving the thrust levers to idle. The nose of the aircraft pitched up again, and the aircraft climbed 2,000 feet, whereupon the captain realised that he couldn't continue the flight to Malaysia in this situation, He declared an emergency and requested a descent. Whilst making their recovery to Perth, more strange events occurred. With his primary flight display indications back to normal, the captain tried re-engaging the left autopilot, whereupon the aircraft banked right and pitched down. A similar gremlin appeared to inhabit the right autopilot, so he wisely decided to hand-fly the rest of the flight. He also tried to disengage the autothrottle by pushing the disconnect switches and moving the autothrottle engage switch, but the arm switches remained in the arm position. With Perth's air traffic guidance, the crew set up an approach, and despite a strong gusty wind plus some additional wind shear warnings, they completed a safe landing. It turned out that one of the aircraft's adderoos, the Air Data Inertial Reference Units, had a collection of faults. The controlling software was designed not to flag several of these faults to reduce maintenance action. A status message would have required the replacement or repair of the Adaroo within three days of the message, but the software hierarchy, based on internal system redundancy, did not consider the degraded condition of the Adaroo sufficient to generate the status message. This meant that vital erroneous data generated by the Adaroo, such as altitude, airspeed, Mach number, wind speed, wind direction, vertical speed, pitch attitude, roll attitude, heading, temperature, drift angle and air data sourced from the Adaroo, appeared to remain valid when it wasn't. When the hardware failure occurred, 
combined with the software anomaly, the crew were faced with an unexpected situation that had not been foreseen, leading to an inexplicable series of potentially serious warnings and autopilot reactions. The crew acted correctly within the scope of their knowledge, but perhaps the most serious oversight was the complete absence of any abnormal airspeed drills in the aircraft's quick reference handbook, since the manufacturer did not consider it essential. Finally, a China Airlines Airbus A300-600 was making an approach to Japan's Nagoya Airport in 1994. During the approach, the first officer who was flying the aircraft using the autopilot accidentally activated the geo-lever, which changed the flight directors to go-around mode and increased the engine thrust to full power. They attempted to continue the approach by manually pulling the thrust levers back and pushing forward on the yoke but did not disengage the autopilot, which was busily trying to affect a go-around by trimming the horizontal stabilizer until it eventually reached full nose up. Realizing at last that a go-around was inevitable, the first officer started a manual go-around by pulling back on the yoke and adding his nose-up input to that already created by the autopilot. This, combined with the nose-up pitch that came from the increased engine power, resulted in an extreme nose-high attitude, soon followed by a stall from which there was insufficient height to recover. Only 10 of the 271 passengers and crew survived. Airbus had already changed the flight logic for the go-around and had advised their customers to modify their aircraft, but China Airlines judged that the modifications were not urgent. In addition, the pilots had been trained in simulators that had the modified software and did not replicate the aircraft behavior they encountered. Nagoya District Court ordered China Airlines to pay a combined 5 billion yen to 232 people, but cleared Airbus of any liability. Go-arounds continue to be a source of aircraft upsets. Better training and awareness and aircraft performance with proper autopilot operation, followed by upset recognition and recovery training, remains a vital component of pilot education. In the next tale, we're going to look at some of that training in practice. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, thanks, Chef. The, I, I took those accidents from um, various sources that were all concentrating on jet upset training. So FAA, um, the Royal Aeronautical Society, uh, and various other ones, because they themselves use them as example incidents that um, illustrated why pilots need really good jet upset training. 
Um, and uh, uh, whilst I was doing that, I was noticing some of the similarities between other incidents that we've covered and these much earlier ones. And I was thinking, what a shame we hadn't learned the lessons from these, uh, um, you know, and applied them. Perhaps other pilots uh, might not have fallen into similar traps. Um, but uh, yeah, it was all, all uh, came about because uh, I, I met um, this lovely Jordanian pilot who we'll talk about next week, um, who was undergoing his uh, jet upset training in uh, the aerobatic, uh, British aerobatic um, uh, school uh, up near Cambridge. And uh, that will be part of um, next week's tale. Awesome. Looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. Great. Jet upset train. And by the way, I apologize for mispronouncing the title of your plane tale. It's Don't Upset the Jet One. <laughs> I, I thought it was Jet One. It had something to do with like jet, jet fuel. fuel. <laughs> That's what I thought too when you said it. I was like, well, see, I think we're going to talk about Radio fuel. Roger. It's all his fault. That's the way he said it in the intro. And so I thought, oh, that must be the title. Yeah. That is not oh, the title. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, it'll all come clear with Don't Upset the Jet 2. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, hopefully between now and then. I will not be confused next week. Yeah, we'll get it Excellent. Right. Brilliant. Does it smell a bit better there now, Steph? So much better. Um, <laughs> yes. Things have been cleaned and windows are open, so you may hear birds and wind noise because it's still pretty windy here yeah honest, well it's getting things moving brilliant. in here so yeah definitely something <laughs> something we I can, can, I can put up with it make yeah. use of my nostrils again i was you know <laughs> mouth breathing for, you. There for a while stuffing cotton balls yeah. in it uh-huh. well if it's okay from you guys i'll withdraw and see you again next week yeah absolutely great to have you with us as uh for most HR of the show says, go for it. <laughs> yeah brilliant hr Enjoy says good feedback. that's five gotta wait for all right see ya Good night. Good night. All right. Um, God, I thought he'd never leave. No, he's still there. Look, he's I knew he's there. there. Yeah, I am. I'm still here. You know. oh, I can hear you. And, and I'm going to listen now for at least five minutes. Okay. Okay. So. 1805. 1805. Whew, okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll be yeah, off yeah. the hook. 1805. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like we can't tell that that black uh, rectangle there in the view on uh, on StreamYard uh, is <laughs> Nick. We can't. We, we don't notice it at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think he can still hear us though. Um, but um, anywho, that was really good and uh, something we can all learn from. It's always better to learn from others' mistakes. Well, at least remember the lessons, too, you know. Yeah. What'd you say, Liz? No confusion this week. You have not paid the, played the feedback. Bumper. Oh, yeah, that's true. There is no confusion this week about the feedback bumper because we have not played it. So let's do it right now. Captain, incoming message. Okay. Oh, yeah, I meant to ask the other co-hosts if... We should uh, go over this one or not. Um, it's it's quite long. That's what she said. And um, but uh, I don't have, Steph, have you had a chance to uh, to look at this incident? Hello. Sorry, is this number three? <laughs> Sorry, the dogs yeah. were barking. And oh, I forgot okay. I yeah, myself. three. Uh-huh. Um, I have not looked at this. Okay. Should we leave it for the next show? Um, 
Well, I mean, I guess we can talk about it. It's just, uh, it's pretty long and detailed. There's, and there is quite a lot the weird here. thing about it is that uh, this comes from samchewy.com. And, um, and it was just recently, um, like February is when uh, he published it on his website. But this incident happened in 2015. So quite some time ago. Not really sure exactly why. Untimely. Yeah, very feedback. untimely feedback. Untimely feedback. Yeah. Take that opposing basis. Yeah. <laughs> untimely <laughs> feedback. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. We've already talked so much about it. Might as well just dive into it, I guess. Sure. Uh, this was from uh, Richard. And uh, and we're not faulting you, Richard, because you were just you know relaying something that you had just read on uh, Sam Chewy's site. So here we go. On 18 August 2015, a Jet Airways 737-800 performed an unprecedented six go-arounds before landing safely on the seventh approach, albeit with insufficient fuel. So in this case, uh, they took the uh, the old uh, motto or the old uh, advice, you can always go around. And they went around a lot. Uh, the pilots were. Maybe there should be an asterisk at the end of it. Yeah. Like you can always go around until you're out of fuel. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. You can. Yeah. Parentheses almost. Almost, almost always go almost, around. Almost always go around. Okay. <laughs> Carry on. Let's listen. All hear right. This, well, uh, they, um, the pilots were cleared to land at runway 27 with an ILS approach at Cochin International Airport, uh, allowing them to descend until it was 200 feet over the ground. Something very useful in situations like this. So it was a category one approach, I'm assuming. The initial visibility was 3,500 meters, and there were some clouds at 1,500 feet. But when the pilots approached, they discovered that the weather was a lot worse. The crew couldn't see the runway or lights, even at 320 feet. So they performed a go-around. Well, I don't know why they didn't wait until 200, but okay. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, what do you think? <laughs> That's kind of odd. Uh, I would have continued the approach until you got to the 200 feet. Yeah, the yeah. missed approach altitude or the decision altitude or decision height, whatever you want to call it. Okay, that was the first go-around for the day. The Boeing 737 was left with 4,699 kilograms of fuel, so the situation wasn't intense yet. They had two options, divert to a different airport or attempt to land here at Cochin again. Am I saying that right, Cochin? Does anybody have any idea that's in India? I, I've never been to India. I have no idea, but it sounds okay. great. It doesn't look like it's that difficult of a word. Okay. But uh, Bangalore, I think that's right, was an option, which was 200 nautical miles away from their location. And the weather was very good there with a visibility of 8,000 meters. Another alternate airport was Trivandrum which was 100 nautical miles away. However, only a VOR approach could be made at Trivandrum Airport. They got information that the visibility there was 3,000 meters, which is just enough. The crew decided to begin the second ILS approach at Cochin, which eventually uh, didn't go as planned. <laughs> That's all they say, uh, as the air and the aircraft. I, so it, it, it did go as planned. It just went to a go around again right. because that's an option on an approach is land or go around. Or maybe they're trying to make a point that they screwed something up on it and that's why they had to go around. Oh, okay. That's what I'm getting from. The fact that the other, uh, uh, that other aircraft also had trouble landing at Cochin was communicated to flight 555. However, instead of flying to Bangalore, the captain decided to perform a third approach. Third time's a charm. <laughs> uh, but the weather was getting worse every minute. The ATC even warned them about clouds, but the crew performed an unsuccessful third approach. Uh, 
After three unsuccessful attempts, they only had 2,644 kilograms of fuel, which was insufficient to reach Bangalore. The crew then diverted to Trivandrum. However, the weather in Trivandrum wasn't so great either. This was informed to air traffic control at Cochin, but they never forwarded this message to Flight 555. <laughs> that would have been a nice thing for the crew to hear before <laughs> they set out for Trivandrum. When they contacted Trivandrum, they were told that the visibility was just 1,500 meters. The landing became tougher as the ILS approach wasn't available. As a result, the crew performed their fourth go-around. Now, again, <laughs> but there was a VOR approach. Um, just because you're flying a VOR approach doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to go around. I mean, the approach is designed to, you know, get in, uh, you know, if the, if the minimum, if the weather is good enough. But it doesn't really specify if they did the VOR approach or if they just... Yeah, I think they had to. Um, I'm sure they would have had to with yeah. the weather as well, it was. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll read further and okay. maybe maybe not. Maybe <laughs> maybe they did their own thing. Uh, the aircraft was left with less than 1,324 kilograms of fuel on board, which is the fuel reserve equivalent to 30 minutes of flight that can take them to the nearest airport. This much fuel should always be present in the aircraft. And if the number drops below this, they have to declare Mayday and must land as soon as possible. So in other words, a fuel emergency at this point. The crew then declared a Mayday and requested a visual approach to runway 14. The Boeing 737 lined up using navigation displays only and without instrument guidance. However, this approach was also unsuccessful and the crew performed a go around for the fifth time. The crew performed a very similar approach again, but it was not successful. And the aircraft performed a go around for the sixth time. Okay, so you're wondering, as we all are, how much fuel do they have now? After the sixth go around, only 662 kilograms of fuel was left. At last, the pilot decided... Wait, for, for those of us in, in non-metric world, is that just under 1,500 pounds? I, Did I do my math correctly? Uh, it's times 2.2, like I think. Yeah, 2.2 okay. or so. 2.2. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's Sorry, not a lot of fuel at all for a 737 or um, even a Boeing 717. <clears throat> I would be sucking that cushion up <laughs> orifices. Meanwhile, <laughs> uh, sure. that's way too much for my airplane. Yeah, so it's, yeah, perspective here, right? Mm -hmm. um, the aircraft was flying just 700 feet above the ground, so low that the ground proximity warning system started to ring or sound, which warned repeatedly, terrain terrain, pull up. But the crew couldn't follow these warnings as they were incredibly low on fuel. The captain made a, quote, blind landing, risking the lives of those on board, ignoring all warnings and no visual contact to the runway, as bad weather prevented them from seeing the runway, as found by the investigation. It could have had disastrous consequences. I mean, it's a miracle it didn't, actually. Thankfully, nobody was injured. The aircraft didn't sustain any damage. Uh, as recorded in the cockpit voice recorder during the seventh approach, the first officer was heard asking, do you know where it is? The runway he's asking about. Captain said, just going blindly. They were Sounds rather nonchalant there. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. They were left with only 349 kilograms of fuel when it eventually landed. Had the pilots gone for another go around, they would have crashed due to insufficient fuel, <clears throat> officials said. So basically, the guy is just going, well, time to kiss the old <laughs> arse goodbye. 
I'm going to have to do this and hope for the best because we don't have enough fuel to do anything else. Um, following the critical, this critical incident, an investigation was launched as the Aircraft Investigation Bureau classified this as a serious incident. Yeah, no kidding. Various aspects were considered, such as the state of the aircraft, weather, fuel planning, decision-making, etc. The plane was in good state, and its condition wasn't a reason for this incident. The initial fuel planning was also on point. Fuel policy of Jet Airways, weather, expected delays were also considered, and adequate planning was done. The critical factor this incident uh, in this incident revolved around weather. They were unable to land at Cochin due to poor weather and low-hanging clouds, and the same occurred at Trivandrum as well. The weather was getting worse every minute. Although the visibility was about 3,000 meters in the initial approach, it dropped to 2,500 by the time they were approaching Trivandrum, and it was just 2,000 when they approached Trivandrum. The decision made the crew decision made by the crew could have resulted in this as well. Uh, the pilot in command dropped the idea of Bangalore to attempt a landing at Cochin one more time, and the selection of Trivandrum as an alternate airport where the VOR approach should be made are the highlighted points. Had the crew made better decisions early on, this incident wouldn't have occurred, as pointed out in the findings. That Liz is making the point that they didn't they, they didn't get some critical info from the air traffic control at uh, Cochin. Uh, but if they had just been a little bit more conservative and gone the further uh, distance Bangalore. to the Bangalore alternate, they would have been, yeah. you know, just fine. Yeah, especially after that first uh, missed attempt or missed approach. Yeah, um, or even after the second, it, you know, even after the second one. Yeah, sounds like they still had plenty of fuel to yeah. do that at that point. Um, and especially, you know, I know they didn't get the weather at Trivandrum, but man, if it if it's anywhere nearby and you're having this, you know, you can kind of extrapolate and think, well. Weather here is not so great. Weather there probably also not so great. We have accurate weather report from Bangalore. It's time just to, to head that direction. Yeah, but may not be convenient yeah. for you or the passengers, or but you know you're going to be alive. But it's safe. It's the safe thing to do. Uh, an interesting uh, point here made in the investigation was you know we talked about the air traffic control not giving complete information to this crew, but also um, they said one other fault mentioned. For the pilot in command is that the first officer had told him about the VOR approach in Trivandrum, but the pilot in command ignored it. Uh, there wasn't any company policy for multiple go-arounds, so the, the decision to go around without diverting to Bangalore uh, could have been stopped if a company policy existed. Anyway, that was you know. In other words, your crew member, your fellow pilot, is giving you information, important information. And we always talk about, you know, cockpit resource management. And you take the information and you don't just, you know, disregard it um, because, you know, you think you have a better idea of what's happening here. And he was trying to make the point, yeah, if we go to this closer alternate, uh, we don't have ILS. We could at least try the, well, yeah, we have, uh, I guess I'm confused about how they're wording that until about the VR approach. So, Sounds like the PIC, the captain thought that there was an ILS approach yeah, that he could use. I think use. that he was thinking uh, that they okay, could that's get the point into Trivandrum. Okay. Just because, the way that it was worded was yeah, a little confusing. It is confusing. To me. <sighs> so let's see. Um, in conclusion, the lack of company policy for missed approaches and inclement weather was considered the main reason for the incident. 
Mm. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with that. Safety of passengers and aircraft were also at stake as the aircraft had to ignore several warnings due to this. Also, the lack of policies that assisted them with designating new destinations could have been the reason, according to the final report. <laughs> Following the incident, new guidelines were added to jet airways. Also, new decision-making skills in such a scenario were taught. The pilots of Flight 555 were grounded after the incident. <clears throat> now, of course, it's it's common for incidents such as this for air crew to have some time off. Um, and I guess you could, you know, refer to that as grounded, but it's usually a dis not necessarily a disciplinary action, but a let's just have you sit out until we have an investigation here on what's happened, you know, to see if you're at fault or not. But uh, anyway, we we have the, uh, the article from samchewy.com and also the um, aviation accident report on, on this incident, if you want to delve into it a little bit more. But man, just doing doing that approach to the opposite runway when apparently there wasn't even a really an instrument approach yeah. uh, in conditions that were clearly barely instrument flight rules, yeah. and if not yeah. worse. Yeah, crazy. No, that's yeah. yeah. I, one thing that I thought was interesting: if you go to the back to the bottom, you know, mm -hmm. the, it says the pilots are grounded, um, but then it also says Jet Airways, you know, stated it was a precautionary measure, and the flight was operated following standard safety procedures. So basically like their statement says, we didn't do anything wrong here. Oh, of course. And well, uh, if I was a passenger, you know, <laughs> that made me disagree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason it says that is because they didn't have a policy, right? You know, there wasn't a limit on now the number of approaches they could do. <laughs> or, you know, if the weather is this and your alternative is this, then, you know, gotta go. they just didn't have policies in place, which is not, I, I agree with you, Captain Jeff, that's, not a uh, substitute for the decision-making capabilities of the pilots on board the aircraft with their pilot brains right. and figuring out what's the best, um, safest course of action to do in those situations. Especially the, the pilot in command. You know, there's a reason, you know, why you get paid a little bit more money and you, because you're in command and you have to make these decisions regardless of what the operating mm -hmm. procedures are of the company. You know, if they don't have ones to, that fit the situation, that that's really the reason why you have humans up there so that they can be flexible and make the, the correct safe decision in these, in these situations for things that were never contemplated. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Anyway, quite a doozy for sure. Um, oh, well, here's a, a lighter note um, for those of you out there who uh, like going to these aviation-related uh, festivals and events. Uh, I don't know if I'd call this a festival. I just did. I don't know why. Um, but I did receive this from, and many of you did out there listening, from Ben uh, Granucci. I think actually he contacted us directly. He said, hi, APG crew. Oh, yeah, he did. He's addressing us <laughs> specifically. Ben from New York City Aviation or NYC Aviation here. Just wanted to let you and your listeners know that we will be hosting our Spot LAX event September 16th through 18th. It will be a fun-filled weekend of great planes, great views, and great people. Once again, this year, we'll be holding the event the same weekend as the Cranky Flyer Dorkfest, which is hosted by Brett Snyder. You can find event info along with our special rates at the fabulous AvGeek-inspired H Hotel Los Angeles at nycaviation.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which we did, uh, and there, there's a link for that. We'll have that in the show notes if you want to 
be um, informed of what's happening regarding Spot LAX. Uh, thanks so much, and we hope to see you all there. Ben Granucci, Director and Senior Editor, NYCAviation.com. So I did sign up, and they have some new information regarding the uh, hotels there at uh, in September. We're super excited to share booking information for the fabulous AvGeek-inspired H Hotel Los Angeles for this year's event. There's a link to book directly with the Hilton. Uh, you can also go to hotelslosangeles.com and book using group code NYC. H, H Hotel Los oh, Angeles. H Hotel. Yeah. Uh, never listen to me on you know the words that I'm coming out of my it's mouth okay. while I'm doing the show. Always go and look for the <laughs> the real information in the show notes. It's an H of a hotel. It is an H of a hotel, Liz. You got that right. Um, let's see. They have a block of rooms available for Friday and Saturday nights, September 16 and 17. And they also have a small number of rooms available for Thursday night. Space available, the hotel will be able to extend your stay before and or after the event dates. Well, I mean, what else would you want to do at, in Los Angeles other than Cranky That's the only thing I've done in LAX. Los Angeles. Really? The and past few times I've been there. And in out Burger, yeah. That's right. Aside, yeah, yeah. What else could you want? Catch my catch my connecting flight to wherever it was that I was actually going. Oh, it's just a place uh, to stop over for you, uh, stuff. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> well, in and okay. out Burger. And in and out Burger, yeah. And that amazing location. Yep. And nice weather. Anyway, yeah. uh, they recommend booking early. Last year, the hotel was sold out on Saturday night. With SoFi Stadium hosting football most weekends in the fall, we expect the hotel will fill up fast once the NFL schedules are announced. That's all for now. We'll reach out again in the coming months with more information on this fall's event. Happy spotting. And that's Ben. And again, that was from their, uh, their newsletter that you can sign up for. And I think I'm going to plan on going out there for that. So maybe you, dear listener, will decide to do that as well. I know that one Greg Peterson, I'm sure, will be there. I think he's been to that yeah, uh, that uh, cranky oh, dork fest and perhaps spot LAX as well. All right. Thanks, Ben, for sending that information to us. And uh, we're happy to pass along any other information that you'd like us to uh, tell our community. Jeff, you've got like 25 minutes left. I don't know if you want to do any specific ones. Did you want to do the music one? I don't know what your desires are. I just want to keep plowing through. You're wondering what my desires are, Liz? Hmm. I am. We're still doing a show. That's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, with regard to oh, 25 minutes. Oh, with regard to the show. Okay. For gotcha. feedback. My bad. And feedback. Okay. So she's telling us that we have kind of a limited amount of time left and uh, was wondering if I might want to do... This is something that, um, that I received. I don't remember exactly how long ago it was, but it's been some time. Um, what number are you on? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm on number 17. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, so I, um, I guess, did he send this? I think he sent this to, uh, the, the feedback. feedback. Um, yeah. Okay. And he addressed, uh, everyone, dear Jeff, Steph, Liz, Rick, and Nick and Nick. Um, hello, my name is Ivor Game, a singer songwriter from London. I wondered if you might consider including my single from a plane as part of your airline pilot guy podcast. The single has made a nice profile for itself over time and is often on many playlists. And then he gives us a link to it and he says, I hope you like it and include it. Yours sincerely, 
Ivor. I see what he's doing. He's getting me to play it, and then he's going to sue me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you get flagged for copyright infringement? Yeah, well, I'm sure I will. I mean, that's that's a given. You know, I'm already. They've already probably sent an email to me since we started recording today's show that I've violated somebody's copyright somewhere. Um, so it's a very catchy little tune. And and I, before I actually play it, I would like for people to. I think he's thinking that we might want to incorporate it as like a regular thing on our show. And if uh, listening to it at least the once through here and then going back to it by looking at the show notes. If one of you very creative people out there can think of a good way to kind of incorporate it into our show, uh, please let us know. So here we go. Let's listen to From a Plane. From a plane, I can see the map of the world. That's not kind of too loud, isn't it? Yeah, a let me go. That's well, really loud in my earbuds. Let me uh, adjust the volume a little bit. Huh. I have all kinds of different volumes going on here. Maybe it's just my personal volume in my earbuds. Okay. The volume of beer. The what? The volume of beer? Oh, oh, oh I get it. <laughs> Who said that? Was that you, Steph, or was that Liz? That was Liz. Ah, uh, okay. You're- she assumes because she couldn't hear it. Oh, okay. I have no idea what was said. <laughs> She's going, will, it wasn't me. So I will it must claim have been that forever. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, so without further ado, let's listen to Ivor Games from a plane. From a plane, I can see the map of the world And see how the coastlines curl exactly as they do in the books From a plane, I can see the ships on the sea as I can't read them on their journey It's just me, the ships and the sea I know as I dream my dreams The world wakes up below And gradually the clearing mist Reveals the morning glow And if it's not all in me I know I am home again Over land that I know so well From a place I can see the space we're working in And how there is room for everything And everyone has got their place And now as I dream my dreams The world wakes up alone And gradually the clearing mist Reveals the morning glow And if it's not all it may seem Then let this be a healthy distance For me Oh See the map of the world And see how the coastlines curl Exactly as they do with the books All right, what do you think? I like it. I do too. It's catchy. Yeah. So my, my thoughts were, you know, at least for now, it might be a good song to have just um, on standby there if we, you know, take a pause in the recording for oh, some yeah. reason, you know, mm-hmm. just a yeah. little musical interlude to keep Theater people... Part. 
Yeah, it's a very uplifting kind of mm-hmm. upbeat. Yeah. I like that guitar too. That style oh, yeah. of um, of uh, like playing and yeah, clean guitar. Yeah, clean guitar. And uh, you're a guitar player, aren't you? Mm-mm. No. No. Oh, I thought I saw a guitar somewhere in your house. Mm-mm. Yeah. Must have been somebody else's house. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else's house that he was squatting in. <laughs> well, actually, uh, it might, you know what? It's actually the, was it my little, house? the little coffee shop that I was uh, oh, yeah, right in earlier this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. like a little cozy old mission style. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's where I saw that because I almost kicked it actually uh, accidentally. <laughs> All right. No, not kick the bucket, Liz. <laughs> you know, thanks. Anyway, uh, so that's available on uh, SoundCloud and Spotify, and all the links to it can be found in the show notes. And uh, Ivor, I'm sorry it took so long for us to to play it, um, but uh, we really love it, and uh, we'll definitely keep it in mind. And if somebody else has a great idea about a way we can incorporate it more directly, uh, please let us know. All right. And I'm glad that you're listening. I think, or somebody must be listening and who's a friend of Ivor. <laughs> um, all right. So what do you think, uh, Liz? Do you want to do the uh, number eight, the uh, CRJ? Yeah, um, we can do mind. that. Yeah. Okay. Let's move to uh, number eight. There's some uh, more audio feedback. I think I think Liz is <laughs> getting tired of hearing me talk. And mm-hmm. so she wants to pick well, all I'm, I'm curious these. to hear this one because the the title of this feedback uh, just says <clears throat> my favorite aircraft. Oh, yeah. This is one of your favorite airplanes, to be a passenger on. Liz. And yours, too. Steph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is all I fly, though. At least, at yeah. least I'm, Steph fly gets here. to fly like yeah. big, cool airplanes in business class and occasionally gets wedged into one of these things. This is all I do. <laughs> That's all you get to do. Yeah. This is all you get to do. It's bigger than your airplane. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Yeah, but the windows yeah, are better still more placed comfortable in, in my airplane. Yeah, more I know. comfortable. And the windows and are the windows are at a better height. And yeah, and well, place if you weren't just you, you, you just weren't so big and I tall, know, it, those know. windows would be fine. <laughs> I know. Okay, let's listen. Okay, to let's this. listen to uh, Phil's audio feedback. Hey, APG crew. My name is Phil Timmer. I'm a CRJ 200, 700, and 900 captain at a large U.S. regional airline. Although I'm also currently awaiting a class date at Acme Airlines, about which I'm pretty excited. I'm also currently getting over a cold, so I thought I would call in, so to speak, with some voice feedback while my voice is good a good half octave lower than it normally is. On a recent episode of APG, uh, Nick C. was complaining about the passenger experience on the CRJ200. And as I not only currently fly it, but it was my first jet, I thought I would... Uh, Colin about uh, defending the aircraft a little bit. With that said, no CRJ-200 pilot would be so obtuse as to suggest that it's a perfect airplane. So to preempt my defense of the plane, I wanted to list some of its faults. It's underpowered, which requires encouragement, coaching, and a little engine that could levels of optimism to reach the lower 30,000s. It has a grossly inadequate environmental control system, making for hot cabins in the summer and poor air circulation in general. It has a nose-heavy CG and a frustratingly low landing weight, which produces almost constant weight and balance issues, rendering the jump seat almost unusable with the recently revised FAA standard passenger weights. It has the inability to run the cabin and uh, 
cabin pressurization and anti-ice systems for takeoff and go around uh, using the engine bleed air alone, requiring unpressurized flight when the APU is deferred, which is far too often. It has small overhead bins, which produces many gate check bags, which on paper make the plane heavier and often exacerbate the aforementioned weight and balance issues. And lastly, the cabin windows are positioned so low that they're only suitable for, ch for children. With that small list out of the way, I wanted to defend the plane and uh, let you know that it's uh, pretty nimble and it's fun to hand fly. And it has trailing link landing gear, which makes for uh, some really easy, smooth landings. And that's about all I can think of in its defense. <laughs> but I still love the aircraft nonetheless, uh, most days. And I just wanted to give a pilot's perspective on it. Uh, hope you're all well, good flying, and uh, cold IPAs and all the rest. Take care. Thank you, Phil. Uh -huh. It's always nice to hear a perspective from a, somebody who flies it. Yeah. And yes, I, I think you defended it well. Yeah, I, I think, think you, so you surely defended the honor of the mighty CRJ 200. Yeah, I'll make a couple of points because I made that initial, uh, I had that initial discussion he was talking about. So to the bags, half, I think half of the problem is how we load airplanes in the United States. I don't know if they do it the same way in the rest of the world, but, you know, in the United States, we load, basically load airplanes from the front to the back. And what you end up with is like, you put the people in the front seats and they put their bags up and then you put the people in the middle seats and they put their bags up. And so in the specific instance that I was very frustrated about last time I was talking about it on the show, we had like two or three people that were at the very back of the airplane. And one of them had a wheelie bag, but it was like a 12 by 12 wheelie bag. So it was one of the super tiny ones. So I assume they thought it could fit. But the problem is like none of the wheelie bags fit. Like you no, could nothing fits. Yeah, you, you could have like a, like a brown like a paper purse. bag with wheels on yeah, it. Your lunch. Yeah, you know. And it wouldn't fit your in one of those box. overheads. <laughs> and so we had to like unload half of the airplane's aisle to get that person back to the front because they had this bag. And then we and then fortunately I was already sitting. But then we had like the aisle completely full to somebody from had to be like the third from the back. Uh seat and they got back there and there's this whole aisle of people and they're like oh we're sorry all the overheads are full and so now you've got all these people in the aisle that you got to do something with back. right yeah. yeah so and i so i don't totally think that's an issue with the airplane um i think it's like half airplane half procedure for how we do things here uh and then the other thing captain jeff and i were commenting on um about the how you guys are number keeping the weights on that airplane, man, it seems to me like that makes the CRJ a safer airplane because you're actually accounting for more weight that's making it on the airplane versus like if everyone put a baggage in the overhead and you're like, oh, we don't account for that. Yeah, well, that's one way all, to look at it. All of those bags weigh a standard seven pounds. No. No. <laughs> but the other way to look at it is that, that if you're one of the people that doesn't make it on the jet because they've already, you know, they're at the weight. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, if they're counting, so instead of putting that bag in the overhead bin, so it's not counting its weight, it's all incorporated into that standard weight of right. your human body and your bag. But if you put it underneath, then they have to add more weight. I think that's the way it works. <laughs> right. so that, that, <laughs> but he started that, that he started that feedback as talking about like how tremendously underpowered this airplane is. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, 
But if we put all this weight in the overhead compartments, we can pretend it's not on the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of flying is. Uh, to be fair, that's yeah. <laughs> a wing and a prayer. Um, standard but, weights are standard weights are, are a fun thing yeah, to, to play around with. Yeah, they're screwy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, one other thing I wanted to point out, Phil, is that I I understand what you're saying, and I feel you. One of my favorite airplanes to fly is this tiny little Luscom. It's probably very similar to your experience. It's a super awesome airplane to fly for me when I'm flying it. Whenever I put somebody in the seat next to me and I'm like, we're going to go somewhere, I still have a ton of fun in it and they probably hate it. So, yeah. And, and, and Phil, I completely understand where you're coming from as well, because my first turbine aircraft was the Quest Kodiak, which is great in certain circumstances and situations. It's not a wonderful skydiving airplane for a lot of the same reasons that you a lot of the same negatives that the CRJ 200 has. It's kind of underpowered. It's slow. You can't fit a whole lot of people in it because it bulks out before it weighs it. And and just yeah, a uh, lot of complaints from from jumpers about it. But it was fun to fly, and I, it had an amazing autopilot. It actually worked. I didn't need it for skydive <laughs> operations, but it worked. <laughs> I love the uh, the part you know where you have to kind of coax it, encourage it, and I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. <laughs> You can make it up this we hear it all the time in like an initial climb out, you know, air traffic control says, um, you know, can you expedite your climb? They go, okay, well, we're going to have to really slow down to do that. Or we can go really fast and we're not going to be able to climb hardly at all. You know, it's like, which one we can't do both. You know, it's either yeah. one or the other, mm-hmm. not both. Yeah. And I feel for the pilots that have to fly it, you know, when you're, when you're flying an airplane, that's not a super performer because, you know, you know, it's kind of dragging everybody else down and you can't help it. This is what you've been dealt. You know, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is my airplane and this is on my schedule and that's going to, I got to fly this one today, you know? So, <sighs> all right. It is what it is. And it has its, it has its use and purpose and yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. All right. Uh, so um, Liz says that we should probably wrap it up with uh it's appropriate because, you know, we are in, I was especially in uh, cowboy country at, in Dodge mm-hmm. City. I mean, Wyatt Earp and, and all kinds of gunfights and all kinds of yep. stuff going on there for sure. And so let's just all together say, yee-haw! 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 <laughs> and uh, the reason why we're saying yeehaw is because Larry Gregory, the geezer, sent us in an appropriate uh, piece of, uh, or a headset uh, for a cowboy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and as as, I love it. as Nick would say, uh, we're all cowboys over here, so we should all be <laughs> issued this. And it's a pretty nice headset too. It's a, a Bose A twenty. Um, <laughs> it is. It's a cowboy hat with uh, some holes cut in uh, either side of it, so that you can wear your nice Bose A twenty headset and still wear a darn cowboy hat. And I mean, again, I like it. Yeehaw! yee-haw. yee-haw. Gotta love it. I do. And, uh, yeah. All right. Um, well, that's going to do it for us, uh, this week's episode. Still lots of great feedback that we haven't gotten to yet. So if you sent it in and we're expecting us to cover it this show or the previous one, um, still hang in there. We're trying to get it all knocked out and uh, trying to reduce the number of news items so that we can kind of get caught up on the feedback. But, uh, don't let that stop you from sending in feedback. Yeah, where would we send that in to, Liz? Would that be feedback 
at airlinepilotguy.com. Look at that right there on the bottom of the screen. Feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. You have audio feedback. Use the device's voice recorder or whatever uh, to Phil record used something. Speak pipe. Or you could use speak pipe. Yeah. Did you say Phil to use that? It, uh -huh. And did Looks pretty like well. The only limitation, and I don't know if it's a, that much of a limitation. I think there's a time limit on that, but he kept it all nice, short, and succinct. succinct. So thank you very much. Speak Pipe, you can find that on the website under Contact Us, I think. <laughs> There's a website right there, airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, all kinds of stuff there. Here, Let me just quickly put that in here on the browser. And I know it's here somewhere. Where is it? Oh, gosh, I have so many things on here. Do you see it? I don't. What the heck? Oh, yeah, right there. Oh, right there. Okay. I thought it was up near the top. Um, okay. Airlinepilotguy.com, our website. We uh, have a link of podcasts, uh, the YouTube. Uh, you know, you can start there to uh, watch us for the live shows on YouTube um, by clicking on that. Uh, we can find information about the crew and information about uh, Camacho Man uh, when, when he sends it to me and when I have time to actually update this. Uh, a plain tales next year, next year Liz says. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Um, yeah. Hey, she's optimistic. Yeah, she, she is very optimistic. <laughs> uh, plain tales uh, information about each one of the uh, plain tale um, episodes. Uh, more pictures and factual information there. Well, I say factual. Really, none of it is. Um, no. APG. 50%. It's <laughs> 50%, exactly. You just have to figure out which 50% is accurate and which is not. Uh, the APG library, uh, Tiffany is our librarian, and she uh, kind of manages that if you're into uh, reading stuff. Uh, we have the information about the coffee fund and uh, APG merch. And as I mentioned before, the contact us. Uh, part of it where you can find where is the thing that says um, speed pipe it's not on there anymore <laughs> Shoot. oh it's not there anymore oh, oh there it is it's just taking some time to uh, load for some reason there it is that's weird that's <laughs> really weird because you have to really get <laughs> maybe and uh, yeah so it's all that and more so head over to airlinepilotguy.com uh, also, the calendar. I think I didn't mention that. Uh, APG community calendar. All right. We're also on social media, or what I like to call the social meds. So you can head over to Facebook. We have a Facebook page. It's uh, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. You can also try us at Twitter. We're at APG crew and find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page. And I'm um, just going to pretend, not okay. pretend anymore, like I'm ever going to put Nick's uh, <laughs> yeah, work up on our Instagram anymore. page. No, because I've never, I haven't done it in forever. I was doing it for a little while, and I just, I got Were you? lazy and busy. Yeah, cool. I put a few on there, but I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll surprise you and <laughs> figure it out at some point. Pencil it into my busy schedule. But uh, we're on Instagram. We're APG Crew there as well. And for those of you who want a more in-depth uh, social experience uh, mm. with other community members, you can. Yeah, it's 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 juicy. It's enticing. <laughs> Check it out. It's Slack. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see if um, hello. Oh, is that Nick's house too? I think oh, wow. he made it here to Wichita. Yeah. Hey, hello. Can you tell us about Slack? Slack. It's time. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Not a problem. Come on over here. Let's uh, move kind of the side. Make a little room. Making. Gosh, he's dripping wet again. Darn well, it. that's what he said. I know. Okay. Tell us about Slack. Hello. 
APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. Now you can head back and dry off a little. Uh, You do, too. It helped. All right. Thanks, Hillel, for that. And also, we'd like to thank our producer director, Liz Piper. Thank you, Liz. You're welcome. All right. And uh, does a lot of work for us and makes us look um, pretty smart. Adequate. (laughs) Adequately smart. (laughs) (laughs) And... Until acceptably satisfactory, uh, you know, just above 50%. And uh, until uh, next time, <laughs> thank you, we're wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. See you later. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how to die